What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we got uh, Daniel and Greg back, and we're going to talk about our favorite punk rock-related movies. And uh, this is a super fun pod. We got the gang back together. Uh, quality suffers a little bit just because we are all calling in, even Greg. Uh, we live in the same city, but we're trying to social distance uh, due to what's going on right now. You guys are all familiar with that. And then Daniel's up in Oakland, so... Uh, that is that, but I think it's a fun pod. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, all right, if you want to support the podcast, or I should say, please support the podcast by uh, telling all your friends what's going on. If you enjoy it, please share it on social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you got going. But uh, please spread the word. The word that is the number one most important thing. If you would like to go the extra mile, you can. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Become a monthly contributor. These are the people that keep the show alive. Could not do it without them. I would be done by now um, if I was still losing money. And we are just about breaking even. So that is awesome. Thank you so much for your contributions to the Patreons. They are my personal heroes. Let's go on to the show. Hundred eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week we got uh, we got them boys back together, although we are uh, responsibly social distancing. Um, so we're all on the phone, so the quality is going to suffer a little bit, but uh. That content is not going to suffer. So we got uh, Dan Sant over my body fame on the line from Oakland, California. What's up, Dan? Yeah, what's going on? I'm definitely social distancing about, you know, 400 plus miles. <laughs> North. Yeah, you, you might be, you might have broken the record here for social distancing goes. Yeah. And then we, I'm, the, I'm, a re- I'm a real American hero. That's true. And then you know that voice. That's uh, that's Greg from Take Offense on the line as well. That's right. That's right. That's right. Our uh, our connection to the youth. Um, but yeah. So this week on the pod, we are going to talk our five favorite punk or hardcore related films. And uh, this is Daniel's idea. So do you want to you want to talk about it and go over the rules a little bit, Daniel? Yeah, um, anything that was punk or hardcore adjacent or punk or hardcore themed, like, um, I mean, there are classic things throughout the history of, of punk that have shown, uh, like, obviously, the Quincy episode, which is not a film, so it doesn't count, but, you know, the uh, the episode of Quincy that's about punks or Chips that's about punks, those are the kind of things that I, like, love in my heart, but then there, of course, you can go the route of like an amazing punk documentary or you can go um even a film that is not exactly punk um themed but it has like a rad punk element to it like a punk scene in it or if there was a punk character in an ensemble or something like that that can also qualify for this you're saying Rathacon qualifies uh no Rathacon they don't it's 
Star Trek for the voyage home that has the punk. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's getting, right. That's right. Getting but, it spot. So there's uh, there's triple X of Van Diesel and Rammstein playing in the cool <laughs> club. That that does that count? <laughs> I mean, if if that because that is kind of punk adjacent, so he has that means Blade count any of those eight millimeter any of those where there's an underground weird like fetish punk dungeon scene going on i suppose they all count yeah you know, man it was getting a little wonky there for a second did you hear that no no yeah I think, yeah it's, a, it's a, like you were breaking up a little bit yeah so stay in one place daniel we are uh oh. we're worried about the quality so uh okay anyway um, that's that. So we're going to do five, but first off, um, we are going to do the hall of fame and Cue the trumpet. All right. The hall of fame for, the uh, the punk movies. Do you uh, do you have it up, Daniel, or do you want me to go? Um, yeah, I've, the the three that we agreed on by just coming up with the topic were another state of mind, mm-hmm. the legendary BYO documentary of the uh, first youth brigade social distortion um, national tour. Then the other is um, the legendary legendary nyhc documentary 1995 yep showing like the mid 90s nyhc scene and then thirdly um the first the first decline yeah yeah decline one yeah decline of the western civilization the first one um so let's go in order of a year and talk about these. So decline is first, I believe. And, uh, what stands out on this, uh, movie for you? For me, I think what I found fascinating about watching it the first time was, was seeing, um, basically where black flag lived and practiced was, just wild like of how much of a like unit the band was from morning till you know nighttime they lived together they practiced they practiced almost every day um yeah pretty amazing yeah and it really captures it captures a spotlight in time for them because chavo um ron reyes was not the singer for very long but he's the singer yeah. on this uh video and and sonically he's my favorite singer i love his voice the most i like that uh he hits those notes like anyone that's known me for a long time like knows how much i love like his version of like depression how he hits like depression gotta hold on me you know like no one else hits that note and uh yeah so i love it it's my favorite like version of black flag which would be like the jealousy guinea p and uh yes documented here also i think a standout is the fear footage is oh, just wild. That's, that's incredible because it just shows you how fucking crazy this early first wave 
in Los Angeles is, which is why what's kind of my favorite part of the decline is it's just showing you this is the first stages of all of this and no one's burnt out or jaded. So it's just genuine excitement and genuine we don't know what this is, but we know that it's just like raging. So for it to capture all of that, where you, none of these bands have fallen off, they haven't put out a bad record yet. They haven't done anything to like, it's just like perfect, perfect jumping point in the fact that they captured it just to show you. And the fear footage is just ridiculous. It's coming up insulting the crowd, fighting it. I mean, shit that would not go down today for sure. <laughs> and the amount of homophobia Lee Vingas throwing at the crowd is wild. Yeah, and I mean, I, that aside, like, I just love the, juxtapos- the juxtaposition of, like, fear against, like, a lot of it. Because, like, this movie, it drags in parts with, like, some of, like, the the artsier stuff. You know, like, I'm not really feeling, like, Catholic discipline and, and uh, yeah. you know, the Alice Bag Band as much. Um, and then just to have fear come out, it's like this is like a grown ass man band, like in like the, you know, like that first wave. And it's just like, this is fucking insane. This guy just oozes like confidence and, and uh, charisma. And like, they're just a great rock and roll band. Yeah. And he's got to be probably like 30 then, right. you know? Right. So it, it also shows too. I mean, how, as far as musically goes, I mean, they, they were such, I mean, because those guys were just weirdo LA musicians to begin with, so they already could play. And, you know, you can clearly tell uh, when they're set, like how dialed in they are as well. Yeah, they're just a force. They're a total force. Yeah, definitely. And, but, and the way they go from song to song, too, is like hard, you know, boom, straight into another, boom, straight into another, like. And the crowd's going nuts. It's it's a rad scene. Germs are also pretty rad on it, just in the how like the opposite of of how together fear is, how like kind of sloppy the germs are, but but still like really cool to watch. Like Darby is a you can't take your eyes off him performing, you know? No, it's wild. And I, and... I love Go ahead, sorry. I love how the the intro it's just X and the pit during X is so fucking violent. Like it's just, it's just like it's not even slamming dudes. They're just like just stalking each other, and it's fucking X plane. So you can just tell that like you can see the crowd just like, no, we want it. We want it crazier. Like we want it more aggressive. Like so. Back to my point of just how it's capturing such like interesting era. It's just starting, and you're you're seeing like what bands are like really bringing it, and just like what the crowd, how the crowd's reacting to it. So just cool, great place and time. Yeah, I'm sure there's an element of like you know news stories coming over from the UK and or from New York, and like oh, we see you know these crowds going doing this, and then people ramp it up in their own like social circles and it's, it's just progressing and getting more and more, um, you know, aggressive. And what, what's 
what's like the bald kid that they interview? His, I think his name is like Eugene. He's just like, yeah, you know, like fucking all that kind of stuff. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, he kind of sums up like the the lackadaisical, like nihilistic attitude, right? Of like that. Yeah, early punk. So moving on to the second one, which is the opposite of like a nihilistic version of punk. Um, this is one of the most important pieces of punk rock history ever to me, which is the another state of mind documentary. And I just remember buying this and just being like, Oh my God, this is so fucking awesome. Like these are like normal dudes that are like booking their tour. They're going around, they're playing hard every night. And they're like, they're doing real productive shit. They're like putting out their own records they're booking their own tours. There's all sorts of rad footage on this this documentary. And uh it's really like that like the second wave that moves away from like the original, you know, the first wave is labels are putting out music and a lot of it is like major label and then like it when it dies down, like, you know, people start doing it themselves. And that's like what I really connect with is all those like early eighties labels that like they're like, we're doing this ourselves. You know, we're going to like put out our own records. We're going to book our own shit and we're going to do this because no one's going to do it for us. I'm not going to sit around and wait for someone to do it for me. I'm going to do it. And that's like the full impetus of this. And it shows its power that like, you know, if, if this came out in like 82, I believe, or that's like when it's filmed and like it inspired like a 17 year old me 15 years later. It's completely timeless. If you watch it now, you can get inspired by it now. Um, so I just think it's timeless, important. And then, you know, also the minor threat footage is ridiculous. You know, then basically like practicing in a closet, you know, and uh, completely love it. Yeah, I uh, I wish there was a cut of the movie with no footage of Mike Ness because when I watch it, as soon as Mike Ness comes on, I just fast forward it or skip the scene. That's insane, even, though. Because oh, I fucking I don't care. I, just like, I, I know what he's become and everything. It's just ugh, so obnoxious. But when I last watched it, I was like, he is pretty damn talented like the way he's writing the songs he's coming up with a melody that is different from the riff like, <laughs> no no thank you how, how dare you how dare you besmirch the uh the bruce springsteen of huntington beach i'll fucking i'll die on this hill yeah i mean i used to feel that way but now i feel like it, it just adds another layer to the the movie that like those two bands are together, just it shows that like, you know, the drive of U three Aid and the Stern Brothers, and then the drive of of Mike Ness to put his art out there. Like they both just want yeah. to succeed, and the fact that like they come off completely different sonically, they're totally different, but they do have a goal. And the fact is like, you know, we talk about like punk rock and hardcore unity, right? Like they're they're together for a common cause even though like their their ideas are different. So well, what's I, amazing about it is is John Stern like planning this whole thing out to be like this is what we're going to do there isn't there's no guideline to do this. Like 
we are going to forge the the plan. And you know how many other bands now have like seen that. I that I mean the movie is so unbelievably influential for the fact that it teaches kids to put up other kids and it taught you know like scenes to contact each other and have bands go back and forth you know all of that stuff that you know if it hadn't been seen this way for everyone to grab a copy of the video and watch yeah come on into, come on into the manor come on into the manor have some chili yep exactly <laughs> welcome to calgary manor grab a bowl and get some chili i mean it's it, it, like just it's i mean it's just educational it's an educational film like i mean you even can learn how to slam in the movie exactly you know like it, it, it's just, at this point it's an educational film yeah and yeah, so so from related, entertaining though. yeah and related to the pod we've had becca on and becca's in this movie she's the uh the girl the interviewer the and she says she wants to be a clown when she grows up and uh yeah that's fun, awesome. fun fact i hope that i'm not putting anyone on blast too hard but she actually dated that dude that shows you how to mosh for like a long time, like kind of in recent years, like in the last like 10 years. So, Oh shit. Yeah. It's like, well, like, he's, he's a catch. Dude, that guy rules. Yeah. He, I, I know. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I met, I met him at, you know, they, uh, they do like punk rock bowling, the, the Vegas one. And then we had a smaller one in Oxnard called the uh, Turkey bowl or the toilet bowl. And I, I had met him both there and they're both awesome people. So, and still around in the into punk. It's fucking awesome. Well, and another yeah. thing that the film shows that is amazing is no matter how good friends you are, when you leave on tour, if there's any little bit of difficulty, how quickly your best friend can kind of become your most annoying, worst nightmare. <laughs> Especially when you choose to, when you choose to like ditch out on, or someone chooses to ditch out on their friends and go stay at the cushy place while the other part of the band is suffering on the floor and somewhere else, you know, it can become quite tense. Yeah. I mean, fortunately for us, it was feels a fire going to the cushy place and in control, having to rough it out. But, uh, <laughs> so, so I see so, stayed unified. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, what's the longest tour you ever went on, Daniel? Um, probably Europe. For six weeks. Well, that's a long time. Yeah, that it was like five weeks and four days or something. Jeez, how about you, Greg? Oh, it's got to be like like a two monther, I think. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, like maybe even more because it was we tore it out and then did like a it's like a trapping the right sports and they just did big kiss good night and then that was like a fucking month long in itself and then we like toured back and then jumped on and did dates with like mad ball so that was yeah i think it was like over two months it's fucking ridiculous but the good thing is the switch up like launching to another band and then it's kind of rejuvenates you a little bit right yeah it's like just another, well, especially when we were, it was our first year touring, so we were just absolutely and, you know, I'm sure you guys had the same, like, just go, go, fuck it. Oh, what do we need yeah. to do? Drive, like, 38 hours straight to meet 
the West Coast tour of Nabal, fuck it, let's do it. Like you just you're just on go mode. You're out there. That's all you want to do. So definitely would never do that now. But you know when you're in that like go go getting mentality and you like. Yeah, I don't know. I think the only thing that would make me drive 38 hours right now is to go play with Madball. Well, one time we left the tour and our first show was Hartford, Connecticut from San Diego. That was smart booking, so. dude. <laughs> yeah. I've, it's, it's, I mean, I think now it's even way more common for a band because we've had to do it so many fucking times where it's like, oh, where's the tour star? Texas, all right, or same shit. You like, before the, uh, well, I don't know if it's still going down. I won't announce it, but Geo supposed the tour, like, with some other bigger kind of like thrash band, and it got pushed back in the year because of the whole COVID thing. But that just started in Quebec. So we would have had to drove. Obviously, we would have played, like, maybe one show in between. But what sucks is there's all these radius clauses. So it's like you can't play within a certain mile radius of like the venue that you're eventually going to play like a week later. So you're just kind of forced to just like drive straight and just meet up in store in Canada. So we were like trying to plan that one out. Cause that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. I mean, have, like we have either of you had a thing where it's like in this movie where the roadies aren't built for the road, like they've been like complaining and and wanting to quit like immediately, like happens in this film. No, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I go ahead. We've we've had like two. I think we had two instances. I won't name them that were like definitely not cut out for it within like three or four days. That's terrifying. Yeah. We've uh we were always blessed. Like our roadies were all angels. So Aaron went the first year and then we had Albert and then we had Albert and Nick for like the the third and fourth. So and those guys were all like built for it. So it was awesome. Yeah, we, we luckily had nothing but like amazing like roadies. Don never came on tour with us. So we didn't have someone complaining the whole time. <laughs> Wait for that. <laughs> and we, and I don't think none of our bands got the tour in a, a school bus. So true. No, that would have been ill. Anyway, moving on to the big dog, 1995, the New York hardcore documentary. This thing <laughs> is awesome. Okay. What we need to do right now, before we delve fully into this film Everyone says that one favorite quote from the film. Well, I just want to know how long Greg has been playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, actually, actually, I'm, I'm looking at it. It's, it's, uh, I'm counting for people listening. I'm, I'm counting with my, my fingers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. Yo, help me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. I got a weed spot over here. I got a weed spot over there. I mean, Caesar might be the star of the multiple comments. How boxed in by the weed spot is everybody right now? 
Well, now that it's legal, I think you're just, if you live yeah, in a slightly gentrified neighborhood, you're really boxed in by the weed spot. You're, you're permanently boxed in now. <laughs> the one, the one favorite quote of mine is, I wanted to import and export venomous snakes. <laughs> like, it's the most <laughs> random fucking shit that Loki is uh, talking about, the bass player of District 9. I mean, District 9 steals the show. There's so much great stuff on it, but District 9 steals the show. Well, and, I, and they're the best equipped for, like, a documentary because they only had a 7-inch. And, like, all those songs rule. And so how many songs can you get on a documentary? You know, it's like you get a few songs on, they're all fucking bangers, you know? My personal favorite line is when Ezak is describing Rick to life, and he's just like, <laughs> like, motherfucker looks like a penal man. If he came home with my daughter, I'd fucking kill him. It looks like he was, a, it looks like he was in a bad fishing accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or a crown of thorns, right? My mother's Jewish. She hates that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, he he is he's ruling it too, but every single member of District Nine is gold. Like, oh that, yeah, the the guitar player that's being interviewed with Mike, like when he's clowning him, <laughs> Mike's story about his mom <laughs> being his ass for the Hail Satan jacket. Yeah, they have a, yeah having a Motley Crue jacket. I, you know, I can relate yeah. to that, Daniel. <laughs> and then, for him. With the with the him and his backpack and he was boxing and all the towels fell up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. But like you know, there's lots of laughs and those 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 dudes their their personalities are just so big. But like at the end of the day, like the music just shines through. I mean, you have you have prime madball of like when they're coming to their own sound and it's documented and that's like well, that amazing. Point- that point too where Vinny grabs Freddie goes, He's the new king. This is the new king of New York Hardcore. Yeah. Like sick. it's the crowning of Freddie. <laughs> yeah, and then Crown of Thorns in their prime. You know, District Nine like capturing them. Uh twenty five to life in their prime. <laughs> you know, and then the the bands I'm not as into, like you capturing VOD, who is like a total hardcore force, huge band. And capturing them yeah. in their prime, even though like not my thing. Um, and then you know, one oh eight, important band. That shit is boring and they, as fuck. They sound, they sound awesome on that. They, they do, then, but that part of the documentary is so boring. <laughs> well, yeah, you're like, come on, can Mike be interviewed with Vic right now? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> ten years, ten years, uh, ten years later, he's recording PC Death Squad. It's like that's, yeah. that's that's what I would have rather had the documentary on on his part. <laughs> and then there's uh, no redeeming social value playing live on the radio. And oh, that's awesome! Everyone just getting wasted, and that that dude let the ladies through. Let the ladies through. I don't know why that sticks in my mind. Sixty four, sixty four. I can't drink anymore. <laughs> Yo, so what? Okay, did you guys? What year did you guys first see this thing? Well, I've got a, a, a good story that Zach will like. Um, literally, when this film first went to VHS, uh, Weinberg had a copy, and I think it was even before Oh My Dead Body, we were going up the headline to see No Reply and 
Life's Halt, I think, at Headline. And we met up with Thorns. It's the first day I ever met Thorns. And he opens up his backpack and he's just got it full of PlayStation games. He's like, yo, you want to buy some PlayStation games within the first 10 seconds of meeting him? I'm like, who is this sketchy motherfucker? (laughs) (laughs) So then, then we go to Weinberg's house to watch it and we're just like (laughs) dying. We're quoting it immediately after the quote. But during VOD, there's like some guy with, Krishna beads on and he has like a tiny little stomach rocker tattoo and he's like moshing and diving he's all over the footage and Thorne's just like yo that yo that dude is dead and we're like oh shit what happened to him and Thorne's just like no when I see him that dude is dead (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great that's that's funny because your story kind of ties in to mine um I don't know when this came out, but I feel like I got it right when it came out, which would have been like 99 or the year 2000. It was like 98, 99. Yeah. It was 98, 99. Because we bought it at Headline Records. I think it was like 20, 25 bucks and like three or four, (laughs) it shows the times, like three or four of us like chipped in and bought it. And then we went and watched (laughs) it at Micah's that night. And it was so funny because we had, I mean, in control or someone, we must have gone to some show at Headline. So we go excuse me, we go back to Micah's house and uh, there's like 10 people or something there. And we missed all the Loki scenes because when Loki came uh, on the camera, he, he just looks so ridiculous. Like not, not to hate, but like the whole room just like erupted. Like, Oh shit. Like, who's this guy? And same. Then, when, when he first showed up, we were like, it's the leader from, from like, uh, what's the fucking guy with the comic book guy with the ring? Like his, it's like his villain. I have no idea. Because he's got that giant bulbous head. Yeah. Um, the Green Lantern. Okay. It's the Green Lantern's like enemy. But we were just cracking up, and it was funny because, like, you know, I've watched the thing a million times now, and uh, he's actually like one of the most like intelligent, like rad guys <laughs> on the documentary. But every time, yeah. like that first time we watched, it, he came on, we're just like, I didn't hear a fucking thing he said. <laughs> So what was so how impactful was this? Like did it did it make its way like throughout all your scenes and then did you see anybody like start copying it immediately and start like like trying to do or act like the dudes in the movie or dance like the dudes in the movie? Like what well, kind of effect did it have in SoCal? I don't think it had any just because it came out so far Comedic. after the it came out after the fact. You know? And then like it yeah, I mean a, a lot of people, you know, it's comedic to them, like they want to gag on it and but for me it was like these are my favorite bands that I get to like see them. You know, because like you know, I mean people they they still like kind of bust on me for liking some of the stuff I like, you know, and District Nine's one of them. Like I literally love that seven inch. You know, so see if I if I heard the District Nine seven inch before I'd seen this documentary, I probably would have felt the same way. But to me, District Nine exists in my mind from this documentary, and they are comedic powerhouses. You know, but it just like, makes, it made me love. When them, we were talking about it, it just made me love them more. You know, like they're so funny, and then I don't know if you ever got like this got re-released on DVD like 10 I years after. I bought it on DVD as well. Yeah, so like yeah. I think in like 
2010 or something came out on DVD or no, maybe in 05 or some shit. Cause it was like, they did all these interviews like 10 years later and there's yeah, like, yeah, they did like a, Oh, like where are they now? Type, type situation. Yeah. And there's like good shit on that too. Like, <laughs> uh, Puerto Rican Mike, he's living in like Denver or like Colorado or something. And they're asking him like, yeah, what do you have for breakfast? <laughs> he's all two shots of Jaeger and a bump. <laughs> so fucking funny. <laughs> So I mean, like, you know who's a, who's a hidden secret, like kind of interesting person on it is the dude that uh, was doing the record label that went on to make like a shitload of money doing Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, he did. Um, he did the record label that Notre Dame and Social Value was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he was smart. I think he's like a he's like a wrestling guy too. Um. Yeah. I guess like another thing I wanted to ask because nowadays, especially with my generation and even more so with younger generations of like kids in the hardcore scene, watching footage of other bands and their own scenes is like so critical to the point where like you'll see a band, for instance, like, you know, our, our favorites in Tsunami they have like that video of you know them playing like a house show in their hometown and the singer drops you know the now infamous line right yeah yeah. you're not from the bay you're from the you're a bitch well then i watched like this band hands of god which is also the same scene they played a fest in the midwest called like lgb fest uh and they're playing and the fucking singer like right before the you know ass beating part comes on uh he's just like yo there's two types of people in this world and an entire fucking crowd of kids in the midwest <laughs> say it i know which, to me, which blows my fucking mind because it's like like i started laughing because it's like Yo, you just all called yourself bitches for number four. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it trips me out. Like, there's so much, like, oh, hey, like, this video is so cool and we love this scene so much. We're going to, like, absolutely fucking, like, you know, almost act like we're from there and pretend that we're from there and bring it back to, like, this documentary. Like, when you guys saw it, I mean, how. Were you already kind of like just too involved in your own scene? Was shit too regional where you're just like, like you would definitely want to watch a New York hardcore band if it came to your town. But were you like, no, I really want to like, like see like, like they, uh, like the veil was lifted and you got to like really see how their scene was like, or like, was it like that much of like a deep dive for you guys? It was just like, oh, it's cool. Like, these are how these bands are. Were you like, whoa, what the fuck are they like doing? Like, oh, they're doing this differently than us. Like that kind of like comparison. Did you guys do that with this documentary? Because younger kids do that nowadays, it seems like all the time. Yeah. I don't know how much emulation there would be off this because again, it's like how much of an impact does it have? Because how many people are actually like buying the VHS and how many people really saw yeah. it? You're talking about like, you know, this is a good, if it came out in the year 99, you're talking about seven years between, before like high speed internet. So, yeah. And even then, like you're talking 10 years or something before like people are streaming it. 
So I don't know how many people actually like really saw it and then how much the interest would be out here to like, you see that video in the store is 20 bucks. Do you buy it? You know, like, because I don't know if like Blockbuster had it, you know, I don't know if it's a thing you're renting. Probably, I think probably it's, not. It's yeah. something you're like paying for. And then like, you know, hardcore CDs and LPs and shit are like 10 bucks, like shelling out 20, 25 bucks for something is like kind of a big deal, you know? So I just, I don't know if it, it really had any impact. Like, I think you already had to be a fan to buy it. And that's, that's how it would be for me is just like, this is awesome. I get to watch like Madball and 25 to life in district nine and uh crown of thorns live, you know? And, and, yeah. and it fucking delivered. It's like, it's, this video is everything I wanted it to be. And I still love it. Cause I love all those bands still. I would say around that time period you're talking about, if there was any kind of emulation, it was always the youth crew, like overtly youth crew bands emulating like photographs of old, you know, core stuff, like looking at the way it is and like getting your jump just right like that more so than it was copying this video. Yeah. And, and, was- and also, also Madball came through. So anyone who wanted to kind of act like Freddie on stage, like got to see him live to copy the moves, you know? Right. I I mean, the first time, I don't know the first time Madball came out, um, I would have missed it. But the first time I saw him was 98. That showcase which, show? Well, no, it would have been on, they, they actually, they played Santa Barbara at a place right next to the living room called Sniffy's. And uh, that was on the Look My Way tour. And I think I, I saw him then. And then I drove and I saw that same tour at, they played at Soma, Soma Side Stage. That was the Earth, yeah. that was the Earth, Earth, Earth Crisis, Crisis Madball, yeah. Blood it, for Blood, Scarhead. It ruled. Hey, uh, one second. Greg says his call just dropped, so we should probably. All right, let's call him back. Institute. All right. Let's do that. And, uh, but yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't know how much emulation. And then also the one, the oh. one band that I, I, re- Oh, <laughs> Dano got cut off. Sorry, dudes. I will, uh, I'll merge the call in a second here. Stupid social distancing. Yo, yo. All right, here, I got to merge him. Like hey, AJ, Dano, obviously Dano, watched, Dan, you know, Dano, you, yeah. got, you got cut off when I called Greg. Oh shit! So okay. you you said the one band. <laughs> Do you it's remember? Right yeah, everyone's back. Yeah, was was okay. like Madball rolled through. You could like see Freddie and all that shit. Yeah, and and, yeah. and also the other thing is like you know if this thing got filmed in '94 and came out in '99 or 2000, like that's a lifetime in pre-internet hardcore. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and like Daniel's saying, especially when you you kind of like, you got to see it in between, you know, all the bands came out and so we saw them. So, you know, and no, no one's really looking back and the people that were looking back, like he was saying, that's like the youth crew stuff. And they're, they're looking back like pre this New York hardcore stuff. Yeah. Like a lot of the youth crew type people and type bands and just kids going to shows, not necessarily having to be in bands that they would do the, you know, like when you go, or you look at like Japanese subculture and they pick an American subculture and they do it better than Americans. You know, they pick up every like 
aspect and make it look cooler. Like some of the youth crew kids would look back to the youth crew stuff and just curate an image like so perfect. Like my letterman jacket is perfect. I've got the right sneakers. I peg my pants, you know, like they're just be dialed in. Just yeah. A worship thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's just, for nowadays and current generations are just so like observing other trends and other scenes and then like copying them so I was just like wondering if that was going on or some example of that back then because youth kids have always been doing that but so interesting I wonder how much of like yeah. the tsunami thing is like people inserting their own shit though you know like like because we used to have to do that sometimes because a lot of my favorite bands were straight edge and so we'd like change the lyrics and sing along you know um so like maybe you know you watch tsunami and they're like oh that's so sick when they're like you know if you're not from the bay you're a bitch and like they're from like small town usa you know and they're like if you're not from you know like mainstream you know like if you're not from emeryville Oklahoma City. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever if you're not from like whatever you're a bitch like because but that, like but that's the thing like they, they they're not gonna in, like I feel like the rule is you just insert where you're from. Yeah, but now they all said from the bay. I'm, I don't know. I'm too fucking regional. So yeah, that's that that's pretty that's pretty embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Yeah, like was, you should yell yeah. where you're from. But if Although, I was in that, if what I, I was in hands of God, I'd be fucking laughing at all. <laughs> yeah, like good lord. Well, and hands of God is is the whole band is tsunami except for yeah. different singers. Hey, don't don't pull back the curtain too much, Daniel. Okay. Not yeah, my bad. Plan. Tsunami yeah. came from literally from the bay. They crawled out of the bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they did the Alcatraz fucking the the shark swim, right? Did that Al- yeah. the Alcatraz swim and fucking beat up a couple great white sharks and crawled out and started a band. There you go. Yeah. All right. So that's the that's the Hall of Fame. 40 minutes in. Jesus Christ, guys. Um, yeah, but that, that needed to be talked about, didn't it? <laughs> no, true, true, true. We got to go through all that. So, Yeah, I don't I don't think we need to go in as longer tirades on our on our top 5 picks. Yeah, you don't you don't want to do the deep dive yeah. on uh, cinema beer goggles? <laughs> Just because of Gap Beer? Because <laughs> listen, no. no <laughs> that's on cinema beer Tay, dude. Oh, okay, bye-bye. Yeah, hey, <laughs> step off, fool. But, uh, yeah, let's get it started. So that's that's my first one. Are we are we doing an order or no? Yeah, yeah, that's your number five, right? Well, I don't know. Uh, Greg, are you doing an order? Or are we going live free on the shit? Oh, you know how I am. I'm live free, dude. Right. He's a libertarian. All right, well, I'm, libertarian. Go- I'm going with my first one or my, my number five or my number whatevs. Is uh, Cinema Beer Goggles came out, Hopeless Records, 1995. And this is like, you know, if you get into punk rock in the early 90s, like when all that shit is breaking, it's like the, it's just under the surface, right? So there's a shit ton of people that are into Green Day, Offspring. Maybe they get into Rancid. Maybe they get into Bad Religion. Maybe they get into Pennywise. No effects. And then like, this is like just the shit right underneath it. You know, it's like these other labels. And this comp, there's a lot of bands on here that I don't like that much. But, like, their songs <laughs> on here are fucking awesome. Like, Guttermouth, that band is fucking sorry. 
you know? And yeah, I, of and I seen, <laughs> dude, I seen them recently. Like they played uh Dillinger four played LA like maybe a year or so ago. Like hopeless did like a, a 20th year anniversary or 25 years or something. And Guttermouth was, 35. they were like worse than like, like they'd ever been. Like the dude like literally <laughs> fell off the stage, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like cool. Like, like Darby Crash or some fucking, you know, nihilistic or shit. Like, it was just like, oh, or fucking. Or Daniel at the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just drunk. <laughs> it's like drunk uncle, you know, and like getting yeah. mad at the crowd for like not liking them. And it's like, well, you guys are terrible. Like, if you don't take your. If Mr. You don't, if, barbecue, Mr. <laughs> barbecue. Well, I don't know. It's just like, take your craft seriously. And it just, it reminded me of like why I fell in love with hardcore. <laughs> like coming out of some of this stuff is like, I can't take the, the, like yeah. the people aren't taking their craft seriously. You know, like if you look at it, like a third, yeah. if you look at like a third rate youth crew band, like it's really lame, right? Like they, they curate like their style and like, you know, they're practicing jumping and like, they all have a nice haircut and they look very clean. Like, you know, they're always rolling themselves probably. Um, you know, no cat hair, no lint, nothing. But like, at least yeah. there's like a like the one thing I can take away from that is like, at least there's a seriousness to the craft. Like they're trying, yeah, they're trying, they're trying to, to do something, you know. And like, some like gutter mouth is just like, oh, this is terrible. But anyway, they're the first song on this, and I think they have like a bonus track too. And uh, yeah, the song "In on Nine is fucking sick. The riff is sick. Uh, so you got. I thought you were gonna say it was Terry Yakamoto or whatever that. Nah, was. that's that's the next record and it's terrible. But uh, also, <laughs> also Jughead's Revenge, the forty nine sixty one, another like total standout song, like kind of, uh, you know, talking about like not selling out, like this and that, like very of the time. Um, and another band where I'm not super into it, but I just I love this song. Um, you got No Use for Name doing the song uh, Soulmate, and like with this <laughs> this shitty music video where like people are snowboarding and stuff. Like it's totally trying to be like of the, of the time, you know, like it's really yeah. bad and it sucks because it's like this band that's actually like a standout band of those genres. Like this band is palatable to me to this day, like of like, uh, you know, of this style, like they're very serious. The lyrics are good. They sound fucking solid. And, uh, yes, yeah, so it's kind of a bummer that they're doing like this silly, like snowboard video. Um, one of the best songs on here, 80 Fingers Louie, I've won. Love it. Still love the Behind the Bars record, or Behind Bars record. One of my favorite bands of the 90s by far. No Effects is on here. Bull Weevils, again, another Chicago band, like 80 Fingers Louie. I love this song, Fence Sitter, so much. And this video is, like, so thrown together. It's just, like, it's just weird footage of, like, street shit, which is, like, it just gives you this really weird vibe. And back then when I was, like, 15, 16, I was smoking weed all the time. So like you just watch these videos and it's like you get these weird vibes. It's like, man, Chicago is like gritty and weird, you know. And the 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 guitar tone on this Bowievils record, um, which is called Heavyweight, is like one of my favorite guitar tones ever. It's just so burly, and this riff is insane. Um, you also got Blink One Eighty Two on this, which is one of the only Blink songs I like. Eminem's and. Uh, then the other stuff that I really, really like is uh Ten Foot Pole and another band like No Use for a Name. I think it stands out. Their LP Rev is one of my favorite albums of the nineties. 
again, like they just knock it out of the park with this record, a serious band. This video is a little silly, but kind of creative, not as bad as a nice for a name. And my fa- my favorite too, they're back to back on here. Um, I love the band Funeral Oration from the Netherlands so much. They're one of my I know you do. I know they're one of my favorite bands from the nineties, and I love this fucking song and I love this video. I love this band so much. Um and it was sad, like I was I was Googling it like a few years ago and I came across like like the guitarist died and then they were like so they were trying to like figure out how the guitarist died and they were like asking around and they find out like the singer died. So like they're all fucking dead and it's depressing. Whoa. Yeah, and so Funeral Oration, like they're a really interesting band. Like they're actually like of the you know, the first wave of hardcore music out of like um the Scandinavia era. Like the they they do a couple demos, they do a EP called Shadowland, then they do this LP in nineteen eighty four called Communion, which is like super fast hardcore but adding melody. It's fucking amazing. And then they transitioned in the 90s, and a lot of people don't like them. They were actually, like, the worst-selling band on Hopeless. Like, in the golden era of everyone selling, like, tens of thousands of records, I think they sold, like, 2,000 records. Like, it's fucking <laughs> terrible, you know? And But they got this weird sound that's kind of like – it's like a mix of – it's kind of like Bad Religion-y, I guess, if you took out a lot of the melody – but there is melody, but it's not as melodic. And there's lots of starts and stops. And then the singer kind of sounds like like a lower fi jello, you know? Anyway, I there's, absolutely... There's a, there's a touch of oi to it as well, right? Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I just absolutely adore this band. Um, everything they ever did. they're from Holland, right? Not... Yeah, they're from Holland. Did yeah. I, did, what did okay. I say? What did I say? No, you said Netherlands, but Netherlands oh, then I said Scandinavia. I was trying to think of a Western Europe thing. Yeah, you're right. Um, coming Holland up, has like very beer boy culture, so like oyster like seeps into a lot of the music, even the hardcore as well. Yeah, yeah, and then so then you got a Tilt Wheel song. Shout out San Diego, and uh, shout yeah. out Tilt Wheel. I booked them at a show at the Living Room in 1996, and they no showed. And I always got to <laughs> I always got to toss it out there. And I love this song though. Another sappy song about hate. It's like uh, the the singer. He's like this fat dude, and like he's drinking a forty, and then he throws up, and then he like goes to the trash can and like finds another forty and gives it to a friend. It's just a really redeem, yeah. redeeming story. Um, Dave from Tilt Wheel. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, you got the White Caps on here. Daniel's favorite band. Unfortunately, it's <laughs> it's not the song Get Beer. It's a song called American Dream. You got some late era circle jerks, and this song actually fucking rules. That song, I want to destroy you. It's so catchy, you know, so yeah. catchy. Um, and then another band that I was never really that into, but I love this song, is uh, No Fun at All Beach Party. They sound like Pennywise with like a Euro dude singing. It's really weird, um, but awesome. And then it ends with the Vandals. I have a date. And the girl on this video is literally the hottest girl of all time. And uh, <laughs> I remember that video. Yeah, you remember her, dude. She's literally the hottest girl of all time. <laughs> and so. it's uh, they they make Warren up all nerdy, right? To yeah. Go on the date. Yeah, he's got a date. Yeah. So that cinema beer goggles. This thing is fucking amazing. And there was there's a few more, like the cinema beer tape before it, which was cool too. It had Schlong on it. That Schlong song was sick. And uh, yeah. it had the superior white cap song, Get Beer. Uh, 
But yes, uh, with him on a on a mo on a motorcycle with a peg yeah. strapped to his back. Yeah, <laughs> that was sick. And then the one after it was Cinema Beer Nuts, and that one had Strife. It had the Blizzard song on it. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it also had a great Millencolin song, but that was like about it. So and and the the guy that was kind of behind a lot of these videos, uh, Darren Doane. Yeah, Darren, remember he ended up do, doing that movie God Money with Rick Rodney as the star. Yeah, Darren Doan, and yeah, he did yeah. that God movie Money with Rick Rodney. He's like the star of it, and yeah, and it was it was weird. I went and saw it. I was at the premiere because I was I was uh I was interning at Hopeless at the time, and yeah, it was it was a weird movie to go see because. You know, Rick, he like grew his hair out for the movie, but he's like a bald dude. So he was like rocking the skull de sac, you know? Yeah. And it was just like, what is, and, what is happening and, here? And Fletcher from Pennywise was like one of the heavies. Yeah. Literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. And, and we should mention the Pennywise uh, VHS. That would be an honorable mention. Did you ever see that, Daniel? <laughs> no. Oh. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I've, Trucking it from my memory if I did. Okay. There's just a scene where like there's a scene where like one of Fletcher's call or one of his friends like calls him to like see what's up. And Fletcher's like such a dick on the phone to him. It's like, hey. It's like, hey, what are you doing? What do you, you want to go surf? Yeah. All right, what time do you want to go? Two. He's <laughs> like, okay, see you later. Late. <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa, that guy's a dick. He was such a dick to his friend, and they put it on the VHS. It was fucking hilarious. Anyway. I always thought Fletcher and Tank Abbott were almost the same person. Yeah, Hermosa and uh, Huntington. Very close. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Cinema Beer Goggles. That's that's one of mine. So Highly you, recommended by Zach. <laughs> highly recommended by me. Yep. Yeah, uh, that, is, that entire grouping of bands, like, other than, like, your more standout acts like like 88 fingers louie and like all those names i have been seeing those band names like since i started listening to this book it's whatever the ballpark of like punk and hardcore and this is the shit i have never gotten around listening to and never will listen <laughs> to because i just associate it with such goofball shit that i'm just like i can't do it well i think now you know how you should listen to it. And it's on the cinema yeah. beer goggles VHS. So you gave yeah. us a fucking great recap. Yeah. It probably hasn't, it probably hasn't been put on DVD. It's probably still only available on VHS. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no one even put it on YouTube. Someone just like had to put together a playlist of the videos. <laughs> so. And that was you, right? Like, your playlist. Yeah. Exactly. I wish I was dedicated like that. The YouTube, the YouTube handle is one eight five miles south. <laughs> All right. So who's next? All right, Greg, go for it. Um, I'm gonna do Repo Man. Hell yeah! With with uh, the young Emilio Estevez, and it's kind of cool because it was I first saw this movie with my dad when I was like a kid because I would like to watch like you know old sci-fi stuff uh you know because I was obsessed with like the first Terminator movie and I remember he let me watch like the first Mad Max film uh we'd go like to whatever like Blockbuster or Renum 
And then I was kind of like, really, I like, I like these types of movies. And, you know, my dad has like zero knowledge of punk rock music, but for some reason, like he was a fan of Repo Man. Cause it's just such like a kind of crazy cult movies, like in the cult flick. So I remember we took it home and, you know, just the soundtrack of Repo Man alone, you have like Dirtful Jerk, you have SP, uh, and there's, all yep. sorts of fear, like, fear, black flag, the plugs. Yeah, and there's like all sorts of just like SoCal punk and hardcore throughout the entire film, and uh, like, and it's just like a trippy flick of just you know him being the young punk, but him still having that like oh, I'm bored, but I I still want to like live fast as fuck and like do ridiculous shit. I'm gonna get into like being a repo dude. Yeah. And just how totally off the rails the story goes, you know, to where, like, he just gets in a fucking car that's got all this alien shit they're looking for, and they just kind of, like, blow it off. Like, I love it. I love how just, like, that shit crazy it is, but, and just have yeah, this total punk rock vibe the entire time. But it works with just how absurd the story is. And I just think it's cool, and it was kind of, like, my kind of first introduction into, you know, uh, some of like the harder stuff, you know. Well, yeah, yeah it's, got, it's, got it it's got institutionalized on it. Yeah, and like I remember too, because, you know, when I saw this movie and I'm like a kid, and this got to be in like the late 90s, you know, you, like, I was just only, you know, I only knew like you're really kind of big accessible like you know green day rancid kind of stuff so then you know even hearing like some of this more like aggressive sounding shit you're like oh what whoa what is this you know like just the scene where they're just like slamming in an alley like like it's just like pretty this is a cool thing to watch that and the fucking line lines per day in that fucking flick too so mm-hmm. So that's what, so definitely in my top five of like the movies in the punk rock sphere. I'm glad someone had it. So. Yeah, it's sick. I love the opening of the trunk and turn it into a skeleton. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> so sick. Yeah, I mean, it's cult classic. It's a great movie, plus and, amazing soundtrack. And it is one of those ones that when you see it in a soundtrack bin, you know, your sight. Because, I mean, you already have it, but you're like, oh, someone's going to come up. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, it's two of the best lines just to finish it is uh, later days. And then that's always a great one. And then the other one is just, let's go do some crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All right, Daniel. Okay, so I have, um, I think I'm going to go for number five, Sid and Nancy. Gary Oldman playing Sid Vicious, doing like an unbelievable uh, job. And uh, Chloe Webb, I think her last name is, doing like making Nancy Spongeon like come to life completely, like from all the footage you see of like Nancy yelling at Sid when he's nodding off in those 
interview footages and things like that, like she nails what Nancy is like. And um, I think it not being like 100% accurate makes it cooler because they have like little bits where they can put things in. And then there's just so many amazing like scenes and lines that come from it because I've seen it probably like a hundred times. But like when Sid and Nancy are like wasted in Paris and they roll up on that dude and he's got the girlfriend with the crazy like headgear braces that go around her head and Sid like just smashes the thing. He's like, oh, that guy's going to make someone so much money. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's funny that you bring this up because, you know, I have my top, I have my five flicks and then two honorable mentions and two that I absolutely fucking hated and Sid and Nancy I hated this movie but I also watched it when I was like I don't know fucking 13 or something so I think I need to watch it again because I remember just being super into sex pistols which my sex when I get back my next thing I'll talk about this but I remember watching this flick and I was like oh sick I made a movie about this and maybe I just made I don't know. There's just I hated it for some reason, but maybe I need to rewatch it. I think I you should appreciate it now. I think you should because it's it's rad and the way they you know, um they have the like Bromley contingent like punks in there. They have like the um one of the best lines in the whole thing is where the uh the black dude in their crew like quits being punk he goes I don't want to be punk no more I want to be a rude boy like my dad <laughs> and he goes off and he comes back and he's yeah, and fully he like walked out, right? yeah. yeah and I don't know I, I really like it the guy who plays Johnny Rotten bugs me so that might be one of the yeah, one of the things been... you don't like well you know they, they can... Oldman does crush it with it like he he does a great job of being for sure. But yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what he asked me. I was like, ew, I hate this Johnny Rotten fucking dick. You know, they and they originally they, they originally wanted Daniel Day-Lewis. To be Johnny or to be Sid? To be Sid. Um, Damn. I could see him being great, but Gary Oldman knocks it out of the park. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. But the, the girl who plays Nancy is the real star of the show because she is like she makes you actually feel for her occasionally, but she's so annoying and it is, she captures what it's like to be that, you know, the typical person who drags someone down in yeah. and whatnot. I think, I think maybe that's why I hated the flick so much because it does such a good job of showing like just how trash they were. And it kind of like ruined my maybe like little hero view of them, thinking that they were like super cool, you yeah. know. And then just seeing how like annoying and just fucking like, like I mean, at the end of the day, he just he was just a nihilistic junkie, like 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 maybe kind of just getting like a real dose into that reality. Like, no, this is like where this eventually leads them to. So I think I think I need to rewatch it. Yeah, I'd recommend it. And the the Indians are real pick me up. It it's cool and artistic the way they do it, you know. 
like him overdosing and and kind of making out in an alley as like showing him going off. I don't know. It's it's some good choices. Alex Cox, who directed it, has done some other good films too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my number five. Cool. Also in heroin related death, I'm uh I'm going with Gigi Allen hated. That's and, uh, on my honorable mention. All right. This documentary is so fucking good. It's 1993, yeah. Todd Phillips, and it's it's like regardless of the subject matter, it's just shot so well. Like the oh, way it's, it's brilliant. The way it's spliced together. And like, you know, this dude went on to to do lots of he, crazy things. He, I mean, was nom- he was just nominated for an Oscar for Joker. Oh, yeah. He did Joker. He did Old School. He did uh, the Hangover movies. Did Borat. You know, like, yep. so... Uh, no, Borat wasn't him. Mm, he did something with Borat. He's, he's involved oh, okay. in it somehow. But, uh... Oh, okay. But, yeah, like, it's, it's just an insane movie. Like, they get so many quotable lines, you know, and and just really paint these guys as, as characters, you know? Um, and, and kind of tie the Gigi story together, you know? Like, saying, like, yeah, Gigi Allen, like, he never even, like, smoked weed... And then, like, one day they put, like, 10 tabs of acid in his drink, and he's never been the same since, you know? Like, thanks, Merle, you fucking asshole, you know? And then Gigi's got his his little mustache that's, like, the anti-Hitler. Like, it's just on the sides, you know? And then Merle's got his stupid, like, bushy Hitler mustache. Like, these guys are just wild. And then you have, like, Didi Ramon, like, tried to play with him for a week and then quit. And... Just all sorts of stuff, you know, like him doing that. Uh, he's like at some university in New York, and he's just like naked on stage, like rubbing a banana on his ass, and then like chucks it at the crowd, like you hungry, you know, like <laughs> just smashes that woman in the face. Like, oh yeah, God, he's wild. Yeah, it's just it's wild, and then like you know that footage of him in like the hotel room where it's like he's just like. I hate you, motherfuckers. I hate you, motherfuckers. I hate you, motherfuckers. You know, and then they got him on Geraldo, like all sorts of shit. And then, you know, I love that one. <laughs> Who's the fan? Unk, the guy they, they interview. And, you know, at the end, he's like, GG's not that cool. And he like beats the shit out of himself. Like, I don't know. This documentary is just insane. If you guys haven't seen it, you oh, should what about- see it. Go ahead. Doesn't have the footage of, of the uh, plane at the garage where the dude like, has his thumb up Gigi's ass and is walking around with him like it, like there's a tail? <laughs> maybe. Yeah. maybe. Um, or maybe that's just a separate Gigi thing that I'm like putting two and two together. But yeah, um, hey, it, when I when I saw it, like, you know, you watch it for the, the same way that you kind of want to watch a horror film. Like, ooh, who is it going to, you know, freak me out? But you also, you know, just love the insanity of it. Like, Yeah, and I, I love the juxtaposition, too, of, like, you know, that he's rebelling against society and all this. And, like, then they go back and they, like, interview, like, his four high school friends, like, together in that, that room. And, like, they're all, like, super cool guys. Like, one guy's, like, in a leather jacket. They're all smoking a joint and, like, drinking, like, Budweiser Talls. And it's like, is this really what you're rebelling against? Like, all your buddies are pretty cool dudes, you know? Like, they're just <laughs> hanging out. They're just hanging out shooting the shit, you know? Like, maybe that could have been you. You wouldn't have fucking died. 
you know, all bloated and yeah. bummed out. But uh, yeah, it was weird. You know, the first time I ever came across Gigi, I bought this, uh, you know, you used to read magazines about, like if you were into heavy metal and shit, and I was from like fifth grade and shit, and and I was, I'm an only child, and so like, I don't, I don't even have any cousins and shit. So a lot of my life was just spent like alone with my family and they'd like, let me buy a magazine. So I'd buy like, you know, a wrestling magazine or like music magazines and shit. And sometimes like it, I don't know if it'd be Barnes and Noble or what, like some of those like newsstands that get deep cuts and you get to go beyond like the, uh, the hit paraders of the circus. And there was like this one uh, magazine called rip, and it was like all like death metal and shit, but like Gigi had just died and they did this whole like, like dedication in memoriam to him. And it was just like, you know, he's a rock and roller that lived by his own rules and like this and that. And I was like reading it. And I was like, Oh my God, like what the fuck? You know, when I was like 12, I was like, I got to search this guy down. And then this, uh, is <laughs> someone, someone running laps or something. It's, it's getting windy out there. Is one of you guys moving around? No. Not me. Okay. Anyway. Um but yeah. <laughs> it was the ghost of Gigi. <laughs> I know. It's like you, you talking shit fool. But uh th- <laughs> no, this, he's just, this talking he's just shitting he's shitting on the all our little phones. Right I know now. he's all <laughs> don't talk shit. <laughs> but uh yeah, this is great. So many quotables and it's like really short too. It's like only like an hour. And uh yeah, everyone should check it out. It's it's something else. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Greg, number two. Just one second. You can edit this. Oh, I'm not editing shit. Uh, yeah. Back to back to the uh, the pistols, uh, the filth and the fury. That was like another kind of like early punk rock documentary, and that's a documentary on the Sex Pistols. And I think it's just really well done. Uh, even if you like hate the band, uh, I think it's just great because it captures just the start, shows you like a really good screenshot of what England was like at the time, and shows the whole formation. I think it's just an excellent documentary. Uh, and if you're ever just like curious with the band, I still think it's the best thing that's ever been done about the band as well. And it was kind of like you know, my first, because, you know, you hear all your kind of like bigger, once again, like Green Day's offspring or whatever, and then you, you find like your first, either Ramon's Pistols, Flash kind of shit. And I just really like Sex Pistols. I was just like, it's band has like, it's aggression, it's heavy, it's patchy, it's not all these things. So I remember, you know, Hollywood video, they, they had it. I rented it. I was just tripping out because, you know, even just finding out, like, oh shit, like, yeah, like late, like 70s, the 70s in England was like terrible, like, and showing like the garbage strike and how, like, that was kind of influencing like all the first wave punks and how they were dressing and stuff. Pretty cool. Uh, definitely my top five because I think it just kind of made a cool impact with me and it was a great capture of the band and how it started and all the formations of the drama. And it's got that really cool interview of them on the TV show. I think Daniel, you can, what's like the radio host that who's like 
super T- drunk. He's interviewing <clears throat> them. TV host Bill Grundy. Yeah, um, this this was the number one on my list. The Filth and the Fury. I think it is probably the best music documentary out there. Yeah. Like, and before you go into it, it Daniel, let me let me just pepper it with a little bit of information here. Um, this is a 2000, it, the, it came out in the year 2000 and it's directed by Julian Temple. And he's the same guy was, that he's the same guy that did the, the rock and roll swindle. Yeah. But Julian Temple was in that crew. Like half of the footage, the interview footage where they have Sid off to the side interviewing or Johnny, like it's because Julian Temple like was in the inner sanctum, like making films and things back then. So what he does that makes it like to really to show, you know, like he uses all the news footage that Greg references, like showing the, the, uh, you know, the rubbish strike. And then also he does, he uses footage from Richard the third. Yeah. That's another thing. He's got all that like old, old footage is really cool. Well, he uses like that Shakespearean Richard III to show like what an outcast in society, you know, was, and because Johnny Rotten kind of had spinal meningitis and had um, <clears throat> had to struggle against, you know, being in a coma for a year and being little and weak and and stuff like that, that it emboldens that punk side within him, and I think it shows it really well. I, I mean, I think it's done phenomenally. Um, yeah, I I think it sh- it shows them that they're more than just like because so many people are like, oh, they weren't a real band, they're a boy band, they were just like put together, and you really see like, no, they were they were they were real dudes. I mean, even like Steve Jones is saying like, yeah, they went just literally stole all their gear, like, so it's it's just a trip. Well, yeah, like the they what the thing does great too is it shows like all the quotes from Malcolm McLaren are behind like a fetish like mask because they had the store set back then and so they have all the quotes from Malcolm but then Johnny's like you don't invent me I am me you know and it yeah yeah and just the interview when they interview Malcolm and he's in all the fetish gear that it's with like the his fucking face like the whole damn mask shit and he's just like talking all creepy. Like I remember that was just like such a wild thing to see. Yeah, I don't know if he's inside the mask. I think it's a directorial choice, but it it's so good because that's what makes it so punk is the fact that there's four different versions of what the story is. That you know, so each person's like no. But what's really cool is that. Johnny Rotten says that he brought all that safety pin and wearing completely ripped up stuff because that's what his clothes were. He brought that to the table and then they saw how cool he looked and they made an entire fashion wave of because of the way he looked, you know, it's, yeah, uh, totally. super cool. All right, Daniel, do you want to, uh, do you want to go or do you want to skip since that was on your list as well? Uh, no, I've got I've got another one uh, plugged in instead. Anyway, okay. Now, because I I was going to cheat and do a twofer, but now I could just have five. <laughs> what a dick! Um, next one I'm going to say is not necessarily the best 
<laughs> like the best quality of a film, but seriously, so punk and so hilarious and so in my heart is Suburbia, which is on my list as well. All right, great. Is that your trash pick? Um, Wait, say again. Was that your trash pick? You said it no. Was... That's not my trash pick. That's that's in my top five. Suburbia is oh, okay. totally in my, my top five. I'm glad that Repo I mean, Man. I'm glad that Repo Man and Suburbia got on here. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about this, right? Suburbia opens with a girl running away from home. She goes, the car she's in gets a flat tire, and then the baby gets killed by wild dogs. Yeah, it's fucking absurd. It's like... Right out the gate. Absurd. And then, let's talk about the first show that has uh, D.I. doing Richard Hung himself. Um, Footage is great. So at that show, the character you're supposed to root for this guy Skinner you're supposed to root for this kind of crew goes up to some girl and goes I want to fuck your brains out if you had a brain and she goes oh fuck you and his response to that is well let me rip all your clothes off in the pit and have the entire scene scream at you and flip you off and you're like am I I supposed to be rooting for the punk guys like it's so crazy but God, what a fucking amazing movie! Yeah, it it kind of like you start to feel crazy watching it. Yeah, because like if if you're like somewhat rational, you're like trying to be like, wait, what? What the fuck? And I don't know if it's like if that was intentional. Because like you just said, like your opening scene is like a baby gets eaten by dogs. Like it's just such like a a head trip film, like and. I mean, the best footage, though, hands down, is when fucking TSOL is up there. Like, yeah. that, to me, is this what he's doing, darker my love. And he's just like, my head, like, he's just so, like, fucking theatrical. Like, and even he, them doing, like, like, wash away, and it's just, like, the most, like, care. It's so, like, melancholy and happy. But it's just like the most violent, like slamming going on. Like, and while the dude so, in security gets stabbed in the back, yeah. <laughs> and then what? Skinner's and he's just like some asshole trying to start fight. <laughs> it, Everyone, it, everyone's be bummed that you didn't do it, Greg. Oh, we're not a water, we're not a Yo, another great line though is uh, it's like, "Where's the horse, son?" Up your off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's so funny because it's the cops and the punks that you're supposed to like like, which is weird. You know, the the cop is being cool to the punks and it's the like rednecks that are taking the law into their own hands that are the villains. You know, um which is it's you know, pretty funny flight of the time to think that they would paint the cops in a in a positive light. But it's directed by Penelope Spheris, the person who was behind Decline One. Yeah. Or behind all the declines actually. Um so like her able to get access to these shows 
like to film the dramatic things at the shows was pretty rad. You know, it made it somewhat authentic. It made it that you wanted to watch it. You know, like yeah, uh, yeah it's nineteen eighty four, so the footage has got to be eighty three or early eighty four. Yeah, yeah, I'd say eighty three for sure. Like on, um, I don't know, it's really good. I enjoy I'm, it. I am a. Uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> all right. Who's next? Um, back to me, I guess. I'm going with Cinema Beer Ted. <laughs> Cinema Beer Nuts. <laughs> um, no, RKL did a. It's like a. It's not really a documentary, but it's like a, a VHS. It came out in, I think, 97 on Epitaph. And it's like footage of, it's mostly like Euro shows from like the late 80s and early 90s, I believe. Um, and it's crazy. It is called, man, I just lost it. But, uh, oh yeah, still flailing after all these beers, 1997. And the footage is just wild because... There's no band, you know, like 87, 88. These are like rough years for, for like punk, you know? I mean, I guess Suffer comes out in 88 and rekindles it a little bit. But like 87 is rough outside of like straight edge hardcore, right? And New York hardcore. But on like the California tip, 87 has got to be like one of the worst years. But Well, that's when, that's when UC is starting to stare at the sun. Yeah, and so we can blame them. But RKL puts out <laughs> Rock and Roll Nightmare that year, and uh, it is like this insane album that's like really the blueprint for what all of like that Epitaph and Fat Record stuff would be. Like at least like the heavy riffing, like in punk. And then also like, I don't know if we can trace back the do that that to them. That's one thing I got to figure out. But they definitely do like they they invent like that skip, you know, like where it goes like you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like that's there, and then just like lots of lots of fingery stuff, and so they're just like this insane band, and this this video it captures it, and it's like wow, this band is really like is insane. It's not like a studio thing. You know, like it's like them playing and being like even more insane and sounding like so good. And it's it's just it's amazing. It's awesome that it got documented. Um and I absolutely love it. It's it's like mind blowing for punk in eighty seven. And uh once again it's called Oh, I just lost it again. Still flailing after and, all these beers. But it's and, been- <laughs> And it's like their reactions that you're seeing in the video. Are people even into it? Yeah, because it's, it's Europe in '87, so like, um, it'll this will this will toss into another one of my my picks. Um, but like, yeah, that that's like why they're out there. I think is because the scenes are like flailing out here, but you can still be a punk yeah. band and go to Europe and like do well. And so like, they're playing these like packed rooms and people are slamming and and way into it and like. I got to assume that people are also just fucking mind blown. Um, Greg, if that's the album you've never listened to, you should check it out. Um, yeah. RKO. Yeah. It's like, I, I definitely familiar just with like RKO baselines. Cause those have always been, I mean, I've always, the band has always had chops, 
yeah like, like, out, out of all of that you know like like serious fucking serious skills and abilities totally but uh, the, the one that I, the one that i'm pitching is the one after they leave mystic so like their mystic their seven inch on mystic comes out in 84 i believe and then the lp keep laughing comes out in 85 and then this is the one yeah. in 87 i believe it's on alchemy records and rock and roll nightmare it's just it's it's mind blowing. I would love, you know, as you're a guy that they can play and have chops. I would just love to hear your your take on it, like listening to it. Like, how the fuck do they do all the stuff? It's just it's really insane. And then again, just like I said, for them to capture this in the live setting and show that there's like, you know, no pun intended, but there's no effects going on here. These guys are just like going wild. It's it's just something else to see. So uh, that is my three. Moving on, Greg. Okay, um, so a lot of people would consider this film absolute dog shit, and maybe some people will be like, you're fucking including this in your top five, but there's a reason why I'm including What's Up Rockers in my top five punk movies. What's it it called? What's Up Rockers. It's a Larry Clark film, the guy who did... uh, Kids. And it's a good oh. movie. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's dog shit. Oh, I mean, I think it's just because it's just like I, the film premise is like because he just grabs just some like East LA punk kids and was like, "You're gonna be in my movie, right?" Like that's yeah. that's pretty much like his actors and or he and they're like a band and they just get like. All, like it's just their journey through fucking LA and I don't know because like I think it just captures like this breed of like East LA like punker pool which yeah, is like no fucking filter and it's, the movie's just so fucking like dumb and it's fucking close and like just like, you watch it, like, to me, it's just, like, why I like it. Like, you just put it on with a group of friends and just fucking laugh and clown it because you're also so goddamn used to, like, play. Like, you know the kids in these movies. Like, you know them. Like, you've gone to the fucking backyard show. You've played it. Like, you've seen them at fucking, like, you're on the trolley. You, you fucking see, like, four or five of them. Like, and it's just for, for like a punk rock movie. Like I didn't really see, you know, for them to be like, oh, I'm just going to grab some fucking kids from East Los Angeles and just put them in a, in a flick. And it's just so like, like it's bare and like, it's hard to follow. It's just like them getting into like adventure after adventure after adventure. Like one of the best things is like, think it's supposed to be like some guy who's an actor that's like Clint Eastwood. It, it, turn this off if you don't want to hear the spoiler. But like they're like running through the dude's backyard and this like Clint Eastwood style character like oh he like shoots and kills one of their one of their dudes and they all keep going and then like like the next scene is they're like oh hey what happened like well, I think he shot him. Oh, okay. And they, like, just don't <laughs> care. <laughs> like, they're just, like, they just fucking keep going. Like, just like, oh. So, it's just, 
I don't watch it. And then at the end was fucking like fucking whatever gangster dude literally like looking at them, kind of like giving them props for being rockers. And then like just shooting like a, a Mac 10 or a Newsies saying, what's up rockers? And just like shoots into the air. Like, I yeah, can't like, wait to see this, dude. So if it's the guy that did kids, yeah. if, if it's that same style and it's what you're describing, like this might be a, a, a favorite movie of mine. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, I know why people could hate it and like would be like, "Oh, fuck that movie!" Like, like I think it's just like with your experiences with dealing with those types of puns. Like, yeah, well, you're just like, God, God damn it! Well, did did either of you guys? I think did either of you guys like kids? Like a hilarious flick. Sorry, did either of you guys like kids? I love it. Yeah, and like, did it, but Daniel, you didn't have like, you you were never like around people like that, right? Like that that reminds me of like everyone I was around like when I was that age. Like, it's it's actually like kind of a sentimental movie. <laughs> no kids, I, I mean, I was around lots of lots of people like that. I did my senior year at Mission Bay. Okay, word. And yeah, there was, yeah. There was yeah all all kinds of. That's when I moved to America, and then I did my senior year there. But the the thing that the what the rock is, is doing it's kind of showing like if you choose to embrace a different culture than what the normal culture coming out of your neighborhood is, how much flack you're getting from your own culture, like the what the rockers. But then at the end, it's kind of like, oh, you're down for your shit. That's cool, you know. But throughout the whole film, they're getting shit for being into kind of like white boy shit coming out of the. Uh, Latino neighborhood, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I know there, that is, like, the deep theme of the movie, but I think it's still, like, a fucking, like, you just end up laughing, and you're just like, this fucking movie is so goddamn stupid. Yeah, I feel like you, you kind of, like, miss, like, the theme of maybe for it, because I know that is, like, the deep meaning of it, but... Uh, yeah, if you haven't seen What's Up Rockers, like, give it, give it a shot. I mean, if you're, like, from Southern California and you haven't seen it, definitely watch it because you're just going to be like, holy shit. Yeah, they just, like, yeah, I went to school with some of these dudes. Like, like you'll just get, you'll get it immediately. Definitely. I can't wait. I'm going to watch it tonight. All right, Daniel. All right. Um, this is probably the most adjacent of my picks, but, um, this is England. Um, the film more so than the, the offshoots, which I love as well, but it's happening in 1983 in England and it focuses on a group of skinheads. Is this, is this the one uh, where they don't like the Pakistani people? Well, that's probably every film set in England in the mid eighties. Okay, I, I just can't remember if I saw this or not. I think I saw this. Go ahead. It's Shane Meadows. Uh, you must have seen this. It's such a good movie. Like it's it's unbelievable. Great film. Um, and it's the story of of a kid, Sean, whose dad died in the Falklands War, and he is a single parent family, which in that day and age was not very common. 
and he's a latchkey kid because his mum is out working while you know while he comes home from school and he ends up falling in uh, to a gang of like what you would consider kind of traditional skins, but they you know it it's skins of the day, so they like go into punk shows as well as like in reggae. Um, and what's uh, interesting is how it shows how the the National Front started to court skinheads to like do their bidding and bring them over to being racist. And there's a there's a black skinhead in the in the gang, and then this guy comes out of jail, and uh, he's very influential in the gang, and he starts uh, believing the National Front bullshit, and you know, I won't spoil anything, but it's a really good film, amazing soundtrack, amazing visuals, like the slow motion scenes of them, like all being just decked, like totally like sussed out, like in all the gear. It's just, it's, it's a visual masterpiece. I love it so much. Yeah, It's definitely, like I said, I mean, it's just like a subculture movie for sure. Yeah. And, you, I mean, maybe a movie to actually show, you know, the side of skinhead that most skinheads would probably want, uh, like the public to kind of get an idea or like kind of catch the vibe of it instead of every, you know, uh, like instead of American History X, you know, type type deal or any yeah. type of like, this is a skinhead movie and it's just going to be like, you know, Nazi shit. So, and just to, you know, actually, you know, for the first half of the film, capture like the style, uh, you know, the music, you know, so definitely for like a mainstream audience, because the film's just a really good film to where if you're just a film guy for a film person, you're going to watch it, you know, you might not know shit about any of that. And then that might kind of be like, Oh, wait a minute. Like these are, this is, this is different than the normal skinhead film that I would see, which is like them trying to blow up a synagogue or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, and then just for it to be a total, like not American take of it as well. Like it's, you know, pretty much true. I mean, it's like the guy's personal story or pretty much based off of it, right? Yeah, Shane Meadows, the director, was a young skinhead in the early 80s. and, and Yeah, so he's able to, like, capture that and, and show, like, why it was appealing for him and, like, other... I mean, I think it was just, like, one of the first movies that actually had, like, a huge mainstream audience see it that showed a different side to the to the subculture it's got al, Cap- it's got al capone from uh, boardwalk empire yeah and yep steven gray yeah. fucking phenomenal actor as well yeah he's the he's the one that gets out of jail and is very influential um it's then it went on to be uh so this is set in 1983 then they did this is england 86? 84, 86. No, 
this is England 86 and this is England 88 and this is England 90. Three like uh, television spin-offs of it, which are so hard hitting. They're unbelievable. Really? And the good? acting in those is incredible. Oh, they're so good. Wow. The same cast. He keeps the cast together. Oh, wow. And the This is England 90 is pretty cool because if you've ever grown up loving the Gavin Watson skinhead books, it kind of follows that in a way to where they're all skinheads until like the rave scene comes on onto the scene and then they all start doing ecstasy and start raving, which is is what the theme of all the photographs in the Gavin Watson skinhead books follow. Like it shows them all as young skinheads and then near the end they were like, we went to a rave and things changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's mine. Number okay. three. Um shit, is it back to me? Yeah. Let's see. Okay, I'm going with there's a documentary and I think I think actually someone told me once that it was a guy in San Diego that put this together. Like a friend of a friend, or actually a guy that was like working at the shop. Um, found out that I collected records, and he said that his his friend put together these documentaries. It's called Records Collecting Dust, and uh, I've seen them both. I can't remember the first one. I was brushing up on the second one recently. For yeah, this. it was it was Jason from uh, Rat Size. Do you remember the band with Gabe from the Locust that which he sang in Rat Size? They sounded very Black Flag, early Black Flag. Okay. Uh. Jason Blackmore, I think his name is. He was the guy behind these two. Yeah. So super cool. I remember enjoying them both, but going back and looking at the, uh, the second one today, like the cast of characters he got together um, is insane. You know, he got Paul Bearer on there. He got Choke, John Joseph, um, Richie Underdog, Brian Baker. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. I, I can't question that. Yeah, he got Ian McKay, of course. He got Roger, and uh, also Al Quint from uh, Suburban Voice. Nice guy. Thank um, you. Yeah, and so this is just really cool. It's just people talking about collecting records. Um, Paul Bearer comes off like super sweet and really just like you just really like him, and uh, Roger, of course, like you know it's it's we've talked about it before, but. You know, to be an AF fan and then like all the documentary stuff about him, um, you know, you just get to like him even more because it just comes through how much of a fan of music he is. <clears throat> and it's kind of fucked up because on this documentary, like they ask all these people this question. They're like, okay, if like your house is on fire and you can only get one record out, what would you uh, take? And of course, <laughs> it's fucked up because Roger's like, well, it's funny you asked that because that actually happened to me. It's like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Oh, so, so anyway. Um, but yeah, this is really, this is a really good documentary about record collecting, which is uh, a part of this subculture, which uh, we haven't really talked about that much. And no one really talks about that much anymore outside of just telling people to buy stuff. But uh, I think they do a, a really good job. And you know, for a, a relatively recent movie that went under the radar, um, people should they should hunt this down. If if not just for the cast of characters to uh, support recent art and documentaries, so it's called records. Especially collecting. If you, if you collect records, it it will 
just totally scratch that itch that you always feel, you know, and then you'll be jealous of a lot of the stuff that these people have. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But also, also this stuff is like, if you're a fan of like these people, which of course you are, these are like the, the heavyweights of like the old school scene. Um, it, it talks about them like, Oh, what's the first record you got? Like when you're a kid or how did you fall in love with music? So it does paint a bigger picture outside of just nerdy record collecting. They're not, they're not like, they're not asking choke. Like, all right, do you have uh every, do you have like every edition of this record? Like, do you got that on red? Do you got that on orange? You know, it's, it's a little deeper than that. Oh yeah. That would be terrible if they did that. I mean, just, uh, just Rogers, like, all the Misfits 45s, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a trip to watch, too. So, so rad. So rad. So, yeah, very cool. That, it's really well done, too. Like, you know, it, it's definitely worth the watch. Agreed. It bounces around enough that you don't get, you know, bored. It, it does the cuts quick enough to move on to the the next question to the next person. So everyone's distinct and, you know, it's edited nicely. Yeah. Um, it also inspired the uh, highest tier of, of my Patreons. The, uh, the guy from the, the punk documentary that comes off well, cause there's a lot of them on here. A lot of people sitting in nice chairs looking, uh, chill and dapper for the documentary. That's, that's the guy you want to be <laughs> life goals. But, uh, all right, Greg, on to you. Okay, so since uh, this is my last one, uh, and remember, I was no order, man. Yeah, man. Well, you, this is, you've got two left. No, I, uh, Suburbia and Bill from the Ferry, we both had those. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I already did Re- uh, Repo Man and What's Up Rockers, so this is my last one out of my five, and it's definitely going to be a controversial pick because a lot of people hated this and but I also think it showcases a, a, a nasty ugly side to it to the scene sometimes with the violence oh, and I'm getting you better, oh, like I know where you're going I know where you're I'm going, going I'm, I'm going to put Box and Beat down in here because oh. as far as Okay, you guys weren't thinking I was going to say that. I no. The minute you started, I knew what you were going to say. Yeah, and I think because as far as like just a controversial little film showcasing a a certain scene, uh, I think it had a, a crazy impact and a ripple effect. And I mean, you can absolutely argue that it had, you know a negative impact throughout hardcore. Some people would say that it had a positive impact throughout the scene, but it definitely, I mean, depending on who you're talking to, or some people could, I mean, just the fact that I brought it up and how everyone's like reacting to it right now is, is why it's in my pick of five, because it's such a jarring film and people either are like, yeah, I like fuck. I want to see all this shit. Like, this is crazy. Like, let's look at this. And then there are people that are like, I fucking absolutely despise this type of like scene and this behavior. And that's why it's in there because in the grand scheme of punk and hardcore, which 
still, to me, needs to have an element of danger and to be shocking and jarring. Uh, this shows, you know, a particular group and a particular scene in bands, uh, which everyone who follows hardcore music knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I remember when this came out, and I think, like, you know, it kind of definitely bred a lot of, like, types, other types of dudes to be attracted to the music. I think it definitely showcased, like, oh, hey, you can, you know, use violence more, maybe. Like, I, I definitely saw an impact in this, you know, which a lot of people say was bad. And I think it's just pretty wild that a documentary like this showcasing a scene and a group of bands from their area and just, like, how their scene was and the type of guys that they were and what they were doing and they kind of just filmed it themselves like, hey, this is what we're about. And they release it and it causes kind of a huge ripple effect of the scene, which, you know, having maybe people trying to have copycat behavior and immediately going like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. So that's why I'm putting it in because I think it's a, a controversial film and I think it showcases a, like, dare I say, here I think shows cases what can be a very dark side to hardcore music. So that's why it's in there. I thought you were going romper stomper. Silent. Silent. That's what also I, no, I said I thought this I thought you were going romper stomper. That's where I thought you were going with that. Oh, oh fuck no. Well I mean that really is the best in a movie of all time, but you know, um because they end up fighting over a girl. Great sex scene. Um, all right. I never, I never saw those. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't know. I never saw the Boston Beatdowns, like outside of like the previews. Just no one in my circle ever had it, and I don't know. I never. I don't know. Are they on YouTube? It. Well, I remember there was a DVD of it, and I remember seeing it, and I remember like with all those types of bands and you know maybe maybe within a younger generation it was definitely like whoa this is the most craziest shit whoa this is wild whoa they're doing this you know I mean I might be way off base here with this pick but I definitely think it had you know an impact within the scene or showcasing the different sides that people would probably like frown upon or they hated it I mean if we're picking like Easy Allen documentaries that are showcasing like dudes doing equally. I mean, that dude was a dirtbag for sure, certified. So, you know, with this type of documentary showcasing how certain guys act or just <coughs> doing what they do, like, you know, I don't think I'm too off base in putting it in as far as like, controversial film. No, I just, I, I, I can't don't... comment because I haven't seen it. Um, what yeah. else? That's I don't it. think you're going to be ostracized for choosing it. So I don't think like, you know, it's anything like that, but I, I think it, it, like you say, copycat behavior and things like that, it, it's caused a lot of damage across, you know, but meatheads would be meatheads anyway, regardless, I'm not saying that like everyone involved in this is one, but no, definitely one, not. One thing that I'll say is like, 
you know, a couple people doing things for the right reasons and then everyone else just using it as an excuse to just fucking wreck shit. Like, you know, they initially kicked all the Nazis out of their scene violently and that's what the, the you know, all of their self-proselytizing at the beginning of this video is. And then, you know, it goes on to be like, oh, we're going to be filming a Boston Beatdown 3 let's go completely ruin posi numbers and just beat everybody up at posi numbers to like get footage like the things that it spawned i just think are just not needed in hardcore and and it is very right of you to say that it is a controversial thing because socially like does it have an impact to where this behavior starts happening because people have seen it elsewhere like where it perhaps never would have laid down roots in certain scenes. I don't know. That's up for debate, but you know, I just, I personally like to go to shows to socialize with friends and see bands and, and hopefully not have to fight. <laughs> you is, know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it, a, is it an actual I, documentary or is it just like fight beat up footage? It's a, bit of both it's like a skate video of fighting with interspersed interviews and you know cloak and dagger mystery interviews of like we do this but it's a way of life type thing you know i totally forgot about the mike valley dvd you remember that yeah i mean it's essentially that kind of thing where instead of skate clips it's fight clips you know like oh there's this guy talking shit to us on the street outside of a bar so we just smashed him to pieces and we filmed I, and, and that's why you know as far as, as far as like a film of the subculture you know showcasing because we were seeing like you know you watch a film like suburbia and you know you're seeing violence but it's like pretend right or you know it's like you never stabbed the dude yeah yeah, yeah. you know or any of that kind of stuff and, you know, a lot of the other, you know, punk-type movies or movies within this, like, are showing or they, like, show these scenes of, like, you know, violence or, like, oh, the punks did this or, or people in the subculture did this. Well, then here's, like, the documentary showing some, like, actual really crazy shit. Yeah. So, and you can, like I said, like, I'm not taking a stand, I'm not saying, like, oh, I think this is a great film and everyone should do what they're doing in the scene. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying as far as like a movie or type of, uh, some type of film that falls in the, you know, here of this subculture, I think it's definitely like at the top of the controversial pile as far as like, which I wanted to have a concert like a movie with controversial movie. Because some people would say, you know, the pick with D.B. Allen, there are people that fucking despise him. Like, they fucking hate him. They'll be like, fuck that dude. I don't even want to listen to him. He was like fucking racist. He did this. He did this. You know? But you can kind of be like, oh, but there are characters and they're ridiculous, you know? But in all sets of purposes, like, D.B. Allen was like a shitty dude, right? Yeah, but what G.G. What Allen's doing is pushing things to the extreme on an almost like performance artist level and For, being, yeah. be, being disgusting. You know what you're getting into if you're going up near the front, you know, all of this stuff. 
what's happening in Boston Beatdown is it's just a clip show of smashing people. And I don't, I mean, I take your point completely that it's a controversy point in hardcore that a lot of people have seen and it, it made ripples, but I don't see it being aesthetically put together. Well, I don't see it really bringing much to the culture except for exposing kind of what happens at hardcore shows where grown men can, can come into a room and basically commit felonies, but because it's happening at a show, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like if it was happening on the street, like you could be arrested for whatever. I, it, fights are always going to happen at shows and, and that's a thing. It's just, I, I just don't, I personally don't see the point of glorifying behavior like this. Yeah, I mean, ab- ab- absolutely. And I think that's why, you know. Well, I think Greg's point is that so it's, it's, it's not, it's, not, you're not necessarily glorifying it. It's just, it is a snapshot of time, right? So, oh, of where, course. I, I know Greg. I know Greg is not glorifying the behavior. I know Greg is is putting it forward because it was a, you know, a big moment in the time where it's like, hey, this is attached to our culture. What is your take on it? You know? Yeah, yeah, and I think another you know interesting thing too is I see so much like. People, people always want to hear like about. I want to hear the fight story, or I want to hear about what happened at that, or I want to hear that. Just like, dude, gossip and hardcore is fucking so huge. It's such yeah. a huge part of the scene. It always has been a part of the scene. You can fucking pull out some old scene from like whatever, whatever, and people are complaining about. Oh, this, this dude showed up and did this, or someone said this, or someone did that. Like that's always been like everyone always wants to like you know talk about it or look about it or see about it, you know. So I think this is kind of like you know once again why it's there. It's like oh, with, well here, without, it, here it is, like there's, here it is. You know? There's so. something in humans physiologically that when a fight breaks out, you're like most people are going to be like, ooh, what's going on, you know? Yeah, the same reason I, that kids all gather around other kids at school going, fight, 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 fight. There's something in us that makes us want to check these things out. I just, when you're when you're the Che Cafe or something and this is happening within your walls, you're not that psyched on it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean? it's, it's, it's fucking terrible to deal with. And it's like, and that's why it's such a crazy I think it has such a, a, a wild impact if you put out this idea for other people to try to follow, but then those people didn't really, like, they were just attracted to just for the sake of violence and not maybe actually having a seed. So, like I said, controversial pick, but, you know, hey, just the fact that, like, the conversation went this way, that, like, I know definitely people might have similar views, and I think it's, like, worth talking about. Yeah, definitely. We had a I just think we, there's so much. I think there's so much better art out there. Yeah, like 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 what's up, rockers for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like cinema beer goggles. Like what's up, rockers? I thought there. I, I thought we could put a whole spectrum of films. Like we have beer goggles, which is like if you just want to watch like 
I don't know. You want a circle pit in the living room? 88 Fingers Louie, and it's just a good time to where we can go all the way to the extreme side where you're like, oh, oh, no. (laughs) Greg, if you saw that Guttermouth video, you would be so stoked on that backyard show they were having. Yeah. You got to watch this. Anyway, Daniel, your last pick, I think? No, I've got two left. Okay, go ahead. Um, Instruments, the Fugazi documentary. Cool. <laughs> and the crowd goes mild. Um, well, we're, so I think after after my pick, I think it's so great that we're talking about a Fugazi documentary. But you know what's great is like the way that uh, Guy handles dudes that want to mosh and like get really rowdy at the show. When he points them out, he's like, I saw you guys outside, cross-legged, eating ice cream. You know, now you want to come in here and be blah, blah, blah. Like, you ice cream eating motherfuckers. (laughs) He, like, called them out for being, like, nice and well-behaved outside of the show. But when they came in, they just started being dicks. And those are the same guys that, (laughs) you know, Craig always busts my shit about. Like, here's your five dollars back, sir. (laughs) Um, it's just a a rad part but what's cool about it is is it's shot in a really you know the guy uh, Jen Cohen had been you know with them since the inception of the band and had traveled with them over a long long period of time so this was kind of like something that was curated and not put out until basically the band had gone from from being the start to where they went on hiatus and then the film came out essentially um and it's really artistically done it doesn't you know sometimes it might be a little bit hard to watch on the flow of it because it's making some artistic choices that sometimes you're like oh just play more songs or show more of this but you know there's like some some choices, but I, I, I think what it does is it shows how when you get four people that are right to be in a band together and they all give their all to it, what really can happen and how much you can achieve. And they've been to every continent on the planet playing. They've, they've done everything, you know, on, and it's all been hard work and no, uh, corners have been cut and they've always made it affordable to go watch them. You know, granted, these things have happened because of how popular they are as well, but it just, it, it just gives you a lot of respect or at least I watch it and just give them, you know, lots of respect because they don't, they don't cut corners. They don't do the easy thing. They don't take the money. They, they just work hard and, um, they very um, vigilant to their craft. Yeah, what yeah. year did that come out? Hmm, I don't know. In fact, you have the computer with you. Yeah, what's it called again? Instrument. I think it might have come out around 2005, 2006 is my guess. 2001. Oh, shit. Is there, is there like I'm trying to think of it. I've seen some vids of Fugazi playing on YouTube, and there's like a couple of live 
performance. It looks like they're playing like a gym type feel. And yep. it's like really well professionally shot. Yes, that's from yeah. the, that's from yeah. The no, just those two clips alone of like them playing and just the way I think what they kinda like put lyrics in between, right? Yeah, and it has like it shows G like hanging upside down in the in the basketball hoop, like Yeah, no that's going that's up. No, it's really it, it's definitely like you said, very like artistically well done. Like that's just I'm I'm going off just like one the one video of them playing some song, I have no idea what it is. But I think you even you just like feel like you're totally there watching them. Yeah, and they they also show them playing uh with no like to uh prisoners in D C I believe. Um and like people that necessarily have never heard of Fugazi, like being able to be up and like kind of moving and dancing to Fugazi in, you know, and almost like kind of mocking Fugazi because they're like, wow, this is crazy shit. Like, I don't know what this is, but just that thing, like, no, we want to go play uh, to prisoners like that don't get this. And they're not like, you know, you can tell they're like not offended by, being kind of clowned <laughs> by the people who are watching them, they know that it's still doing good. Um, I, if no one has seen this, I really recommend watching it. It's it's really good. Well, yeah, everyone should go watch all the top fives. Yeah, for all right. sure. All right, my last one: uh, nineteen ninety five Slayer Live Intrusion. Uh, start out with Rainy Blood, end with Chemical Warfare. Can't fuck around. Uh, more punk than Fugazi. And that's that. <laughs> you know? Can we... Uh, I've never seen it. It's the closest thing to Decade of Aggression. I think Decade of Aggression came out in 91. This doesn't come out till 95, so it's kind of a bummer because obviously Seasons in the Abyss is way better than uh, Divine Intervention. But uh, what are you going to do? Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, my number one is Bad Religion Along the Way. The VHS. I think it came out in ninety or ninety one. And uh Is it a, is it the doc or is it just a collection of videos? It's like it's them playing a bunch of European shows like on the Suffer Tour, I think. Cause they don't they don't play anything off No Control or Against the Grain. Generator. No, none of that. So it's like it's just Suffer and then the old stuff that's like on eighty eighty five. So on the first yeah. records and it's just fucking awesome. It's Bad Religion right when they come back, you know, put out Suffer, which is one of my favorite, if not my favorite record of all time, and then doing all that old shit, and it sounds so good live. And then they do break it up with, like, little interviews, and it's kind of, like, it's pretty wild. You get everyone's personality, like, big time. Like, uh, Greg Hetson, they interview him, and he's like, they're like, so what do you like to do? And he's like, I like to play video games on my Nintendo you know, uh, Blades of Steel, you know, so you get his personality. And then you have like Mr. Brett is like looking super depressed and he's like, I'm a drug addict. Like I do heroin, you know, like I'm, you know, like I'm always going to be a drug addict. Like, I think he was clean then, but he's saying that like, once you're a drug addict, like that's just what you are. You yeah. Know, like you can like fight it. Gone through rehab once. So he's repeating all the things that you learned. Yeah. And then you have like Greg, this very, you know, just, intellectual to the bone. academic yeah total yeah. academic and then you know jay bentley is just like a normal ass dude 
And I th- I think it just does a good job of summing up their personalities. And then the the footage is amazing. I think they're just like sp- they're splicing together like I don't know maybe three shows of like a European tour, maybe five shows. But like the editing is like basically the apex of what I like. You know, like they are jumping around from the camera angles and the shows, but it's not too abrasive. Like Greg and I, we talked because recently we were talking about doing this project before it got totally fucked by by uh, the coronavirus. Um, we were talking about like doing a live series here for the pod of shooting bands. And we wanted to just do it on one camera because kind of a backlash to like, I went and saw that the last Slayer thing that they did in the theaters. Did you go see that Daniel? No, no. It was like maddening. Like they don't, they don't keep a camera angle for like longer than like two seconds. And it's like, yeah, you're just watching this. Everyone who, Everyone who edits things now thinks our attention span is so fucking insane that we need to like see something new every second. Yeah, and I just it's like fucking unwatchable. You know, it's like I'm not even getting a feel for like being there. It's like I'm I'm it's like you're on a roller coaster, you know, but in a <laughs> in a bad way. Like it's like yeah, I can't tell what's going on. Like I want to watch and enjoy this. These are like my favorite songs, you know? And so like I yeah, I think that also comes too with like so much of this like quick editing is done to like pizzazz up footage or make footage look more exciting of maybe a performer or music that's not already like super fast already. So when you're already when you're watching like Slayer and the music itself is like so fast and gnarly and like the band already has that crazy stage presence. It's like, you don't really need to do, you know, all these, like, millions of quick edits in there. But I think, you know, it's such a new standard thing to wear and what Daniel says as far as attention spans go. You know, if you take this, like, whatever kind of basic pop singer now, it's kind of like the most boring, mediocre track. It's like you have to fucking go do so many angles just to be somewhat entertaining so I think it's more of like a stupid trend and sadly like some older bands kind of like fall victim to it yeah it's just absolutely terrible so like the editing on this is just perfect um I love it I I love this thing I've watched it more than pretty much any punk rock related thing you know I mean I probably wore this thing out um and I absolutely love it so the bad religion along the way VHS Came out on Epitaph in 1991, and uh, it's long, dude. 27 tracks. You know when That's they awesome. when they only had like two LPs out, so they basically pay, play like both LPs plus like the seven inch and the along the way EP. So super sick. That's what I got, and it's put out by Epitaph. Yeah, Epitaph 91 on VHS, and I don't know if it ever got a DVD release or not. Um, I never it's crazy because it's right. It's right in the time frame that I would have just been eating up anything that was punk, you know. And I, I haven't seen this one, or at least I don't remember seeing it. Yeah, you got to see it. It's it's so good, um, and it looks like it's on YouTube. The full thing. Oh, cool! So there's that. Um, it, that's everyone's five, right? No, I've got I've got my final one, which was my number two. Um, which is 24-hour party people. Okay, and what's that? And um, never seen that one. You haven't seen it? No. Oh, you should both see this film. It's 
the story basically of Factory Records, but it what it, it the way it's connected to punk so frequently because there's this very famous story. It's because um, Daniel has fact- to do Fugazi number two and Joy Division number one every episode. <laughs> no, I just worked Fucking out that a, way. I'm kill so, myself, dude. Sex, <laughs> sex Pistols is going to be my number one. <laughs> But then, Greg, we're at, we're at two hours and six minutes. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the honorable mentions and get out of here. No, no, I'm telling you about this film. Okay, so it's Steve Coogan plays Tony Wilson, who was as when I was growing up was I knew him as a newscaster. He was the local newscaster that did the more interesting stories, but in reality, he was the one of the main brains behind Factory Records. But what happened was the Sex Pistols came to Manchester and played the Manchester Lesser Free Trade Hall um, as a show put on by the Buzzcocks, but they weren't ready to play yet. And there was probably about 40, 45 people in that room. And like almost everyone who was in the room to see the Sex Pistols the first time went off to do something. Like All the three people who were behind Factory Records did that. All four members of Joy Division were there. They went and did Joy Division. Um, Morrissey was there, went off and did The Smith. Marquis Smith was from the, from the fall, was there, went and did The Fall. So, like, this one, like, epicenter moment happened in Manchester that spawned, like, all these bands and all of this. Like, Billy Duffy from The Cult was there, you know? So all of this stuff happened just because the Sex Pistols came and played Manchester. So... Um, it's kind of the story of that, how it starts, and then it goes through Factory Records. So it goes through the Joy Division is the first half of the film, and then Happy Mondays and like Manchester stuff is the second half of the film, and then the downfall of Factory, where because Factory did a really interesting thing when they signed any bands, they said you get half of what we make and we get half of what we make, and there are no contracts and you own everything. So as Factory started getting into financial trouble because they owned the Hacienda Club with New Order, um, basically all these labels came sniffing around and said, wait, there are no contracts? We don't have to buy them out? Okay, we'll just sign the bands outside of Factory, you know, and Factory like imploded. But it's a really hilarious film, but it's really well done as well. And the guy that does the Ian Curtis part, I think is better than, the Ian Curtis from the Ian Curtis biopic um, Control. Cool. And I'll... shout out to Joe Rivas, episode one, for picking, uh, for referencing Joy Division closer and not getting yelled at for mentioning Joy Division. We was throwing that as an example of something you could pick for 1980. And that uh, was an example. It's a wild card. <laughs> no, that that would have been a great wild card pick for 1980. That's a classic record. Love it. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. What we're going to say. I'm going to check out this movie. Honorable mention. Yeah, honorable mention. So uh, one, I could have probably replaced the RKL (laughs) with this, is uh, that recent documentary, The Agnostic Front, Godfather's a Hardcore. It was was (laughs) so well done and so awesome. Um, Just all the footage and and just to have a, a band that epic to be able to do a great documentary and then have all that footage and have like, relatively recent interviews and, you and, know, and the recreation of their old apartment, like 
yeah. dramatically kind of was really cool as well. Yeah, and then like the tiny the, was done by like the bass player Blood for Blood, so it's like yeah. you have like yeah, a, Ian, Ian yeah, so you have like a guy from yeah. an awesome band like this doing his own art that's like capturing this other artist that's awesome. So it is everything about it. I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that one's terrific. The, the super high quality a seven footage as well. Yes. Uh, is, is like just awesome to see, you know, like, cause you always been able to see like really kind of low quality snippets of like the early NYAC scene and just to see like really like amazing quality footage of like them, like just the A seven club and them mocking and doing all that. It's it's awesome. Yeah, showing each member at their own different mocking style and stuff is sick. Um, if you want like that kind of New York hardcore kind of thing where you just better old footage showing up and like new angles, there's a a newer documentary that I saw on. Uh, Amazon Prime called The Chronicles of New York Hardcore. I oh saw, yeah, and I that's, that. uh, that's Drew. That's Drew Stone who thinks uh, an antidote now, but also and the crossover years. <laughs> yeah, he also directed. Uh, wait, what did you say about crossover? I said he he sang an antidote in the like full on metal years too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought I thought you said. I thought you were like. I took a shot at crossover right now, which I was, I was, because after hearing, you know, you have to squeeze in Joy Division here, and then I thought you took a shot at, at, at the best genre of music of all time. And you said, hey, hold my beer goggles video. I'm going yeah, after it. I'm, I'm glad that was, I'm glad. Hold my beer tea. I forget. Yeah, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, and then. I mean, also, too, I mean, he directed the legendary Biohazard Punishment video as well, so. Jesus. That's that's the apex. I mean, that's that's one of the greatest <laughs> videos ever. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also, and I think, did, did we miss this Hall of Fame? The NFX documentary. I talked to Daniel about it, if we were going to have it in top five, and apparently none of us did, so that's why it's not in the Hall of Fame. But, uh. It is as close as you can get, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I did. Oh, sorry, I I didn't have it on my list because I assumed one of you two would. Um, and also, I mean, it's pretty awesome, but Chibi is so sad on it. Yeah, I would say that's what holds it back. Is like, you know, as a GB super fan, watching that video, and it's like. Well, sick of it all, fucking smashes. AF, fucking smashes. All the interviews, totally classic. Go to see GB, total fucking bummer. And so maybe that keeps it out of the Hall of Fame that it that it smashes any any idea that you think that like GB would be amazing. Well, I think I think that's what's cool about it, because without this let's say you didn't have such a crazy pro shot of these three bands in 91, right? And, you know, you've already given GB the legendary status, right? And then you kind of see them playing a big bill and you see them have a dud set. I think it's kind of like cool and an actual, like, accurate showing of, like, you know, you look at an old flyer of a show, right, with 
all these gnarly bands. And you're thinking, dude, this show must have been so fucking crazy. Like, it must have been, like, everything I wanted it to be, right? And then yeah. you kind of look at it, and you're going to be like, oh, damn, that's that band. It's kind of, that show was kind of a dud. Yeah. Well, you know? it's, like, it's like the death rattle of GB. They're, they're, like, basically breaking up right around that time. And Siv is only a year later and in this video Siv has you know is wearing creepers and shit so like it's you know moving on to that thing but I gotta say yeah, dude, that, that song The Distance oh man I love it and yeah and and it sounds so good to hear Siv sing it I know it's on the Moondog 7 inch and I, I like it yeah. when Walter sings it too but I like Siv's voice more so yeah agreed but um, on the whole video is what's New York hardcore? It's me and him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That that Jimmy Harley interview. And Jimmy Jimmy's got like the coolest like Budweiser like (laughs) yeah, I think it's a crew neck. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah, I mean Jimmy (laughs) Jimmy comes off so good. It's like he just feels like your friend, you know. Mm -hmm. But I mean just. I mean, highlight is AF playing crucified and the two dudes marching out with the American flag and then Stigma dropping to one knee and doing the sign of the cross. Yes. Like, <laughs> like it's like, who needs to watch the fucking TV footage? Like, <laughs> like you don't need to watch that shit. Like, you just saw the best thing ever. It's so good. So good. And then they're all in, like, fatigue and boots and, like, march three feet forward. Like big riff, three feet back, three feet. You know, is this so sick? Absolute force, the fucking force to be reckoned with. Yeah, so good. Um, I wanted to also mention the the BYO documentary. Let him know is really so good. Is really really good. Um, the Descendants documentary Rob, was very very good. The BYO doc. Rob and I. Uh, drove up from San Diego to the premiere at the same, like that Nike theater where Chromax played for the radio silence show. Um, and they aired it and just everyone was there and people like were going up to the people they'd seen in another state of mind, like almost as they were like rock stars, you know, like, Oh my God, you're the person who made this comment, you know, like, like uh, your girl Becca was getting tons of attention of everyone. Like, oh my god, it's you! Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, that documentary was great, and <clears throat> I haven't heard that many people talk about it. Um, so everyone should check that out. It's called "Let Them Know." It's a story of BYO, um, <clears throat> and also Youth Brigade. Um, the Descendants, the Film Age documentary from 2013. It's really good. Yeah, that one is that one's really really good too. Yeah, just flying through these. Um, the Fat Wreck one from 2016, I thought was good. Uh, Give me danger. Uh, I, you didn't like it? I really don't like. It. No, I think it's done well, and I I think no use for a name and a, and propaganda come off really well. And, and I like good some of the other bands. Um, yeah, and some of the other bands that I don't even care for come off well, but Fat Mike's such a douche. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I don't know. He's not my favorite interview. Um, but I'd love to have him on the pod. Got to get him someday. I did. Uh, yeah. I did email Fat, and they never got back to me. So stop big leaguing me. Um, that's all. The Ramones documentary. <laughs> uh, we're out of here. I enjoy that one a lot. 
Um, they're yeah, they're a bunch they're a bunch of Ramones ones, end of the century. But I think that we're out of here one is completely exceptional. Um, I've got a couple honorable mentions. You got Salad Days um, for sure. Yeah, Salad Days is really good. Um, as is, uh, I prefer the the Bad Brains one rather than the looking for HR. Yeah, one. The, the Bad Brains one's good. I love when. Uh, when Ian actually confronts him about like, the homophobia out. stuff. Yeah. And he's like, well, and, you know, they kind of had a point. Yeah. 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 And his response is kind of like, yeah, I'm not saying it was, I mean, he pretty much just like, it is it, it, what it is. We're kind of like, he's kind of, you know what it was like back then. And Ian's like, no, we weren't like that. No one should have been like that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That was, That's probably my favorite um, Ian moment. Other, uh, other I, than uh, the, ice the seven inches, the ice tea is the ice tea is the uh, it's the best. Yeah. Also, uh, shout out to <laughs> shout out to the in control documentary done by me. Oh yeah. Oh, how I Jesus, that's my number one. Can yeah. that get digitized, please? Nah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If someone if, if someone knows how to digitize, I'll give you a DVD, and someone can do it. <clears throat> my computers don't even yeah. have like a CD drive anymore, so. That fucking needs, that needs to be, I mean, come on, Amish dude, but slam. I mean, that's, <laughs> I need to see it again. I've only, I had a VHS copy of it. Yeah. One of one handwritten by Zach. Yeah. I'll have to, uh, I'll figure out how to digitize it. We'll do that. Um, and, um, another good one, uh, the punk singer about Kathleen Hanna, bikini kill, really good documentary. Cool. Have you guys seen that? Nope. I'm sure. Uh, no, I, I, I actually, I actually watched that with, uh, with my girlfriend, and that was a good documentary. Yeah, it's really good. And that then, is cool. I had no idea she had Lyme disease. Yeah. Which, which was, uh, which was, and then, uh, kind of. I mean, and that was like my first introduction, like real kind of introduction to that band, and like seeing all that. So yeah, it's like a definitely a doc worth watching you know they yeah, say that they say that uh it's good to have possums you know some people don't like them i uh i enjoy them i think they're so ugly they're cute but they actually uh they eat ticks and they're saying that like you know the average possum will eat like a couple thousand ticks every year so uh you gotta get more possums in the world so we can uh, put it into lyme disease so now you can say awesome possum yeah with the how many uh, how many other uh, words have a silent O? <laughs> there's um there's one documentary that's not been mentioned yet that like was so close to being in my top five but just missed out is the future is unwritten, also done by Julian Temple, but it's about Joe Strummer and the Clash. Oh yeah, that that would be good. I gotta watch that too. And uh, yeah, I. I've, I've been meaning to watch that for a while. Oh, it's really good. I also never saw the like, one really, about the... really, good. I never saw the one about the, like, proto-punk band Death. I heard that one was super good. Yeah, that that's pretty, a good that, that one's pretty cool. Yeah. And the doc... Did you watch the it documentary about the metal band Death, though? That one's great. Yeah. Yes. I w- There's also... Um, There's lots of good heavy metal A newer... Ones. A newer doc on East Bay Punk that's really good too. Oh yeah, I watched Turn that one. Around. That one's great. I love that one. Yeah, yeah they, really they did good. such a good job on that. 
like I've, I yeah. felt like it got most of it, you know, <laughs> there, I saw, and you know I, what? go ahead. <clears throat> uh, you know, what other documentary is quite good is the, um, the jawbreaker one. But what's great about it is it makes you just think they're just, you know, a band that can't get along near the end. And they're just, it shows their hypocrisy, which is awesome that they were very honest with it and let it all be shown. Yeah, that documentary is great. Um, I also saw one recently, a Bakersfield punk rock documentary. That was kind of cool. Was it all about Jerry's? <clears throat> yeah, a lot of it was about Jerry's. And then they actually had a little section about Tehachapi Hardcore. So, Sick. Yeah, kind of cool. So if people can hunt that down, I can't remember what it was. I, I came across it and and watched it, and it was okay. It was, it was just interesting because, you know, with talking about Oxnard so much, Bakersfield is kind of a similar town just without a beach. And, uh, yeah. and so they kind of, it's, it's kind of the same, same idea, you know, a, a town that's like, you know, an hour or so out of LA and, and just like on a, on a total different, like wavelength, you know? So it was, it was yeah, kind of neat. Find the name of that. Let me know because I, I, it's diehard youth featured. No, they, they interview Andy for like maybe 15 seconds. It's, it's a very <laughs> brief thing on Tatchby, but it's. The cool thing about that is just that it goes to show that they they're making the effort to include everything, and it's a documentary yeah, that's like yeah, and it's it's starting in like eighty two or whenever like their punk scene started, you know. <laughs> so like for yeah. them to acknowledge that, which wouldn't have been until you know the year two thousand ninety nine, that's kind of interesting. It's kind of like that San Diego documentary that talks you know a lot about Rocket and Jehu and stuff, and they give Unbroken a a 30 second to a minute part near the end, just to say like, well, we have to mention, you know, this, even though, uh, it's more about the Casbah scene of the nineties. Yeah. You got to mention it or it like takes away from the authenticity of your documentary. Yeah. So, all right, uh, we're, we're at two twenty four, So let's wrap it. All right. Well, I'll just, I'll just close it out. UK 82. Uh, I forgot to mention that one just for the footage of Chaos UK playing No Security. Fuck yeah. Uh, the documentary that said our subculture died in 86. And yeah. was was like, it, to sum up the documentary, I think it was like, in a common Twitter phrase, like, oh no, you were, you were doing so good. No, why did you do that? Like, that documentary completely does that because you're like, yeah, it's just oh wait a minute everything I like that is dead apparently and I shouldn't exist then so fuck yeah you, you know the wild, the wild thing about that too is like so <clears throat> when he did the book before he did the documentary we actually played um, he went on tour did a book tour and we played a show I think I just posted on Instagram recently we played up in Seattle and Igatrol opened the show then he did like a slideshow of the book and then Stagold played and that was a show and it's like, I don't know. I think that I was just on tour and having a really good time because like one of my biggest like regrets is like not throwing him in a trash can that night when I think about it, because <laughs> like we should have, we like collectively as a scene, you know, it should have been a mob of people like picking him up and chucking him into a dumpster because it's like the gall of this guy to have like the point of his shit be that hardcore died in 86 and then in the year yeah. 2002 or 2003, you're pitching your book at a fucking hardcore show. 
Yeah. You know, it's like, For well, real. like then just go do it at a bookstore. Like, why are you doing it at a hardcore show when you say that the shit died like 15 years ago? You know? And that's, I, and that's just what, what sucks is the documentary, like, it is good. I know. Like, yeah. It, I it, know. It's awesome. And then you get to the end and it's just like, like, go home. And you're like, yeah, fuck this. Like, yeah. You know, like, you know what's <clears throat> funny about when it aired at the Hillcrest Cinema in San Diego? Like, the opening night was just full of, like, just hardcore kids, like, crazy. And Curtis from Tang is in the film, and he's also was at the theater. And, like, when he came up on screen, I don't, it might have been Ben, I'm not sure, but someone yells out because he's got all his records behind him. He, like, he's being filmed at Tang. And someone yells out, look at all those overpressed records. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. You know, hey, talking about this too, there's another documentary that offends me so much is the, that tower records documentary. And it was oh, just really? like, yeah, it's, it's so offensive. Cause like they make it seem like record stored, like record stores lived and died with tower. And it's like, no dude, like you're kind of like the first like mega store. And then you got out mega and got pushed out and it didn't die with you. There's still like a shit ton of record stores, you know, and they're struggling. They're still like keeping the same vision, like pushing music and like they give no shout outs at all to like the people still doing it. You know, it's like, Oh, in the era, tower's gone. And it's like, fuck you guys, you know? Like I, mean, I, I took it more as like it was end of an era when that one on sunset that they kind of based a lot of the story from, and most of the staff of the Talking Heads in the in the thing. I I didn't take it as much like the way you did, but I suppose if I watched it again, I could definitely see that. Well, it's like they're taking over the world at some point, you know. Like they're just a big mega store, like moving in everywhere. You know, yeah. like you just go to tower, like they got everything. Like I assume that they put out some smaller stores, you know, and then probably, you know, and then to like cry the victim because you manage your business so poorly and like times changed and you didn't adapt. Like, yeah, you're allowing all your employees to do Coke on the clock. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's pretty offensive that like they could have at least like silver lining it at the very end and be yeah. like, you know, tower uh, went out, but there's a shit ton of like local record stores still doing it. So you should go out and support them, you know, yeah. to have them not like end on a note like that was just like kind of offensive. I thought. So. Yeah. I missed tower for the simple fact that they're open on Christmas day. And it was like, you know, oh, I don't want to be around my dad. He's driving me fucking nuts. I'm wow. just going to go to tower and go in the magazine section for, Hours. Oh, I know. They used to get like when I used to be way in MMA, especially the stuff out of Japan. Like they would get like full contact fighter. They get all the good shit. So, yeah. I mean, whatever. Anyway, we're at two thirty. <laughs> um, let's let's wrap this up. Thanks for doing this, guys. Appreciate it. Um, and you guys can take it out. Let's let's get at least one of those uh, suicidals on this shit. Uh, the only thing. What? I can't. I have no idea what you're playing. Oh, you can't hear it. I can't it's in hear control. It. Oh, that was All the. All I hear. That was the outro. You just can't hear it.
Oh, you can't okay. hear you yeah, might fine. you you must not be able to hear the box because you're just hearing me on the no. phone. No, my my phone's on speaker, and oh. it it sounded like I was just like I was just put on like hold with the shittiest like overly. <laughs> oh, my riff is my riff is shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was put on hold with the shittiest hardcore riff. Damn, I, I mean I. I I couldn't even tell what it was. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, all right. Well, you were supposed to do the suicidal laugh <laughs> over. But anyway, well, here because I'm I'm gonna hang up after this. And this is my closing statement, and then I'm out. I'm cutting it. Okay. The dudes that say hardcore died in '86 are hanging out at the Casbah, and that is the epitome of Casbah culture. all right guys we'll see you next time all right see ya